get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Athletes have been a beacon for young people in the black community. And to see athletes like Jalen responding in in this way is really wonderful. And I'm so happy to see another generation of athletes understand what has to be done and what has to be said. Here's an example that people should should try on. There's been a lot of talk about how horrible the, the rioting and looting is. That is no way to demonstrate. But people should think about the fact that Colin Kaepernick tried to demonstrate peacefully. What did he get? He got ostracized. He lost his job. He was blackballed. That was a peaceful protest. Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN, and that's where we begin today. Jamie, we didn't touch this yesterday. No. And it's because we had both talked on Sunday and into yesterday's show, and we decided as a group, it's just too hot. There's a lot going on here, and listen, I've got some thoughts on all of this, and I don't know whether or not this is the forum for it, frankly. But I want to talk about this from the athlete's perspective because over the last 24 hours, we've now seen clubs speak out. We've seen players speak out, unlike I think we have ever seen before. I saw a graphic earlier today. This came from the Sports Business Journal of how many clubs have now released a statement on the tragic death of George Floyd and what we saw over the last week or so with the protests. The NBA, 26 of the 30 clubs have made a statement on this. The NHL, 23 of the 31 clubs have made a statement. NFL, it's 15 of the 32. In Major League Baseball, it's 10 of the 30. Here in St. Louis, neither the Cardinals or the Blues thus far have made a statement on it. Well, actually, just updated from this morning, as we were walking in here, I was grabbed by Mike Ryder and just so we know, yeah. the Blues and the Cardinals released a joint statement. Good timing. <laughs> under, uh, the, under the One Nation tag. And we've seen that before where uh, the Blues and Cardinals have been together calling themselves One Nation. So they released a nice statement. So here is that statement. Thank you to Jamie for putting this in front of me. Uh, the St. Louis Blues and St. Louis Cardinals stand united in support of racial equality for all and with those who march peacefully to highlight and protest racism, bigotry, and violence. There is no place for intolerance in our society. We also stand with those who work every day to better society and with those who honorably wear the uniform as they protect and serve all of us. We will continue to work together.
together as one nation and ask that all of our supporters join us in redoubling our efforts to give back and support the community that we love. So that comes from, again, the Blues and the Cardinals. Appreciate Jamie for putting that in front of me. So... That's where we're going to begin today, Jamie. And I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this. Pat Maroon released a statement earlier today. Steve Stamkos released a statement today. Every most significant athletes at this point have released a statement. It's bringing people together in sports in a way that I'm not sure we've seen in recent years. Yeah, you know, it's 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 awful how sometimes it takes an event uh, of significance like this to happen to bring people together. And yes, there it, it's it's a hot topic. Let's just be really brutally honest about this right now. The temperature uh, of the entire nation has been elevated in the last handful of days. But what I am seeing is we're seeing prominent movie stars, athletes coming out, speaking out, supporting the cause, and then also after that, joining people in peaceful protest. We have NBA players going out joining peaceful protest. We have John Jones from the UFC out peacefully protesting, putting boards on, on windows and taking spray paint cans away from maybe misguided people on how to express themselves. But one thing is that sports has always brought people together, but this is so different. This is the athletes and your your regular citizens together being united. I just feel like this is really a great time to change things moving forward, to recognize what's at stake here and to kind of uh, under, under the Blues and the Cardinals uh, tagline, One Nation. Let's just do that. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I To bring a little bit of my own personal experiences into this, um, I was I started college in 2011. And basically since then, almost every year, I've seen some sort of protest for something like this. It started for me with Trayvon Martin. I remember I was on spring break out in Panama City Beach, and I was watching TV in the morning, getting up, and that's the first time that I had really seen something like this taking place on a national scale in my adult life, where I can understand what is taking place. So you go from that to where we are today, almost a decade later, almost 10 years later, And the conversations remain the same around this sort of thing. The difference now is that I think you're seeing more people understanding what the people are protesting about. We've shifted the conversation from, in large part, the looting and the rioting into, okay, what is the underlying issue here? What's happening that's making these people so upset? What is happening that is ripping these communities apart? We saw it right here locally in Ferguson. This was not unique to Ferguson. This is a national topic. It is a national issue. It's an international issue that we're trying to figure out what the answers are. We don't know them here on this show. There's a lot of people that don't know what the true answers are. It's bigger than sports radio. It's bigger than athletes. But what I will say is it is something that we are finally getting to a place of understanding with one another. There's people talking with one another instead of talking to one another. And I think that's the difference this time to me. I'm looking at Salt Lake City where there are protests. Mm -hmm. The people in Salt Lake City, Jamie, look like you and me. That wasn't happening 10 years ago. And so that's the biggest difference to me is we're seeing the athletes
athletes use their voices, and I think it's more a reflection of society than it is a change from what we're seeing in our everyday lives. Yeah, I agree. And I think that if, you know, we talk about the power of social media, right? There's a lot of ways that we say, oh, I can head down the wrong path. I'm seeing it being used now for, you know, change. I'm, I'm noticing that the athletes are speaking out. They have a platform. They don't need a, a news media outlet. They don't have to come on our show to express themselves. They have their own media outlet. It's called Twitter. It's called Instagram. And you know what? The players are taking advantage of that right now. And I think it's great to see some of the statements that are coming out. You know, I, a story from back when I was a kid, uh, you know, Kevin Weeks, friend of the show, yep. NHL Network, he's a black goaltender. And, you know, playing against him and people would throw things on the ice. We throw bananas on the ice. And this was a 15-year-old kid at the time, right? And here we are, fast forward. Is when you guys were in juniors? Yeah, and fast forward to where we are now, and we're still dealing, to your point, with these issues. We're still having these problems. So, yeah, I definitely think there. this is time to move the needle. Let's, let's do better. Let's be better. And I don't care what your political stance is on anything. I don't care. It doesn't, you don't have to sacrifice your political party to be a better person. I think we have arrived at a place where we've seen so many of these things we've seen so many of these protests now that it's hard to ignore the issue and i think that's what's happening in sports and i I say that sports is a reflection of society i think that's the case in a lot of different areas it's frankly why i love sports so much is it brings some of these topics up and it makes us face them head on when sometimes we don't want to face them i was at mizzou in 2015 it was my senior year and for a lot of people in our audience, you know the year 2015 as the year of the protests at the University of Missouri. I covered those first hands. The protests in the fall that year were on my birthday. And I was, again, a senior. And I was covering it for the station that I was working it with at the time at the ESPN affiliate in Columbia. And so I watched those up close and personal. And the athletes there made their voices heard. Now, we can talk day and night about what what came from that and all the the fallout from what happened that fall. That's not really what I'm interested in having the discussion on. What I'm interested in discussing is that was one of the first times I saw up close and personal what an athlete's voice can do, mm-hmm. what kind of a change it can resonate. Like, you saw sweeping changes at Mizzou, for better and worse, come from what happened there because of the athletes lending their voice to that. And so I hope, I hope, I don't know for sure, but I hope that that's something that we see here from athletes making their voices heard in this situation. Maybe it does create a better understanding. Maybe there are some people that are faced with questions in their own lives that they wouldn't have asked otherwise because they're seeing this. Maybe it just causes some personal reflection. I know for me over the last 48, 72 hours, I've had a lot of reflection over some of this sort of stuff. So if it causes a conversation and it comes from sports, it stems from sports, it comes from some of the athletes that we love and the teams that we love, I think that can do nothing but good for all of us. Here, let me give you an example of how things can get better. All right. Yesterday at the Rivers House, which is always a circus. We talk about that all the time. Things, there's a lot of moving parts. Yesterday at the Rivers House, one of my sons comes in and starts talking to me about Jonathan Tay's Instagram post. Interesting. And he starts asking questions because he's 16, right? Like, you remember that age. You're, you're kind of paying attention, but you're not. All this stuff is going on. You're not really sure why. You've got video games you want to play. and all. 
sits down with me and my wife and asks questions. Why is this happening? What is this? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? And then he starts scrolling through and he reads other statements from Michael Jordan. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar comes up in conversation. Then my other son joins the conversation. And then all of a sudden we have a four-person conversation. My daughter is in on the conversation later on at night. The, my daughter goes to Mizzou. Then my one boy talks about expressing how he'd like to help support. He'd like yep. to go help and be part of these protests, peaceful protests. Yep. And my point is with all this, is that conversation as great as we are as a family and as much as we try to be, you know, love everyone, we've never had that conversation. So my point is if we're having that conversation today, right now with our kids, that means we're headed in the right direction. It's I hope happening. everybody is having that conversation. It's happening for you guys because of sports, right? That's where the connection That's all where the comes connection in. comes in, yes. My girlfriend yesterday asked me about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. She read his op-ed in the New York Times, and she was like, hey, can you can you tell me a little bit about this guy? Because his, his op-ed was incredible. If you haven't read it, I would fully recommend seeking that out. And she was like, hey, can, t- tell me a little bit about this guy. And I was like, well, he's the most decorated college basketball player in the history of sports. I learned the other day that he's actually Lou Alcindor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. So, I that, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where it was. But it, it is. It's forcing us to have conversations that we might not otherwise have. And that's certainly the case here. Listen, I was I was a little worried about coming on here and talking about this, and I'm going to be open and honest about it as somebody who is new to the area. Mm-hmm. I'm a new host. A lot of you guys know me for the last three months, and I've been thrown on the air, and we're doing our thing here together, Jamie, and I didn't want to piss a bunch of people off by talking about But I do think, having seen what we've seen in the last 48 hours with the responses that we've seen from athletes, I think there's a change happening. I do think this can be a tipping point. I hope it is a tipping point. And so for that reason, I wanted to, I, I didn't want to let this time go without us at least voicing some of our own discussion about what's taking place across America right now. We're all talking about this with our friends, with our family, with our loved ones. We're all trying to figure out what's going on. So I wanted to at least discuss this with you a little bit this morning. Yeah, Jay. and I agree. I felt the same way. And look, we have a unique opportunity. We have a microphone in front of our our mouths right now and we have people who are hopefully listening to the show but by us doing this maybe one person asks questions maybe one person tries to get better if that's the case then i feel like it was our obligation to get on here and talk about this and hopefully we're all headed in a much better direction it's 11:14. your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler with jamie rivers and alex ferrario i'm brandon Kylie. it's ribs and bk on 101 espn or somebody from the 636 don't worry bk you just naturally piss people off that that's a good point sir i do, I do seem to do a pretty good job of that in general as well. We're going to go back to being uh, hopefully a little bit of a distraction for you to help you get through your day a little bit easier. Major League Baseball, I think yesterday is going to be seen as the day we remember as the moment we knew there was going to be a baseball season. I'll explain why next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. agreement suggested that if these games would be played in front of empty ballparks that the owners and players would in good faith go back and negotiate further concessions on salary 
The players either didn't get that message, they were clearly surprised by it, and as a result, they countered with the 114 games and no ability to concede on the prorated salaries. Major League Baseball's response is, okay, we will pay you your full salaries, but we have the right to determine the number of games, and right now we're looking at a 50-60 to 60 game season. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Carl Ravitch on Sports Center yesterday talking about MLB's idea for a 50 to 60 game season. Jamie, I think we're going to look at this as a significant moment in Major League Baseball's balls discussion. As I was listening to the fast lane yesterday, and they played the uh, the breaking news from Jeff Passan right mm-hmm. as it was happening on Sports Center, I, all I could think of was. So we're going to get an 82-game season with the prorated salaries. Like that's, just, that's where this is going to finish, right? Because Major League Baseball players proposed a 114-game season with prorated salaries, their full prorated salaries. Yeah. The owners come back with, hey, worst-case scenario, we will unilaterally agree to a 50-game season that has full prorated salaries. Do a little math in your head. Check a couple of numbers. <laughs> whoa, whoa, we don't do math on this show. Oh, so the exact middle ground is 82 games with full prorated salaries. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there, Jamie, but I think yesterday we saw, okay, here's the path. It's 82 games. It's the prorated salaries. Maybe some of that money is deferred. But yesterday was the most confident I've felt at any point so far during these negotiations of an 82-game season. And we're going to be playing around the 4th of July. So you feel confident after very, hearing that? Very much Gosh, so. I think I'm on the other side of the fence on this one. And not not just to be that guy, but I'm looking at it, and this was my concern yesterday when we all talked about it, was that the owners or the players went in such a... Let's backtrack it. Rewind, yeah. okay? Yeah, take o- two. <laughs> take two. Take three. Whatever it takes, okay? The owners started off with their first proposal, and the players clapped back like immediately were like yeah that's not going to work so then the players answered with a ridiculous offer themselves and the owners very quickly countered with the 50 game yep. schedule you guys want your pay no problem we'll only we'll we'll siphon you down by limiting the amount of games you're playing i don't feel like this is going to get resolved and and here's why i don't i don't know if the leadership on both sides of this are the right guys like, I feel like the players are being guided in a direction by somebody who's in a fight, right? And I think Rob Manfred represents a bunch of owners that feel like they're in a fight. And every t- anytime you have two big leadership groups like that where they feel like they have to win the fight, and we talked about this before with the NHL, they, it's an ego thing. It is. And we're not going to give in. And I'm just worried that they're going to hit a stalemate. The players, it's going to get to a point, like you said yesterday, we're going to start losing games automatically. So this 114 game, that's not going to happen yeah, just because happen. every day we're losing a day. And I think we're going to get to that point, and it's going to get to the 50 to 70 game window. And then I think the players will have to make a decision. And I don't know if they'll decide at that point because I think they'll feel like they've lost this fight. And they'll be like, well, screw it. I think there's two different conversations happening at once. I think there's a CBA discussion that's taking place kind of in the background of all it's, of this. Yeah, it's sitting in the corner with its ugly face on. And a 2020 season discussion that's taking place. And sometimes the two get conflated. And sometimes the two get conflated because they're basically negotiating both at the same time publicly. And so we see some of these quotes and it's like, wow, that seems 
totally counterproductive for what you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. here. And there's other quotes that are like, wow, that's your reaction to this proposal? Like, I, I get it. That proposal is outlandish, but it didn't. That reaction is not necessary for what they're saying because we all know that's not going to happen. Yeah, the reaction is because this is all setting up for next uh, next offseason CBA agreement. And so what we're looking at now, in my opinion, is the owners looked at the 114 game season and said, nope, we'll do 50. <laughs> the players are going to counteract that by saying, nope, we'll do 90. The owners then come back, okay, maybe we'll get to 70. And then eventually they meet in the middle and they're probably going to be at around 80. Maybe right. it's 75, maybe it's 85. I don't know what the exact number is going to be. But somewhere in that area, and they're going to come to an agreement on the money where, okay, We'll get the full prorated salaries, but we're only getting 60% of it now and the other 20% next year and then another 20% the year after. That solves their cash flow issues. It's the games that the players wanted to have. Everybody's getting a little. Nobody's really winning in this scenario. But this is kind of what it had to be, right? Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, we asked this yesterday of Maury Brown. I said, are owners just dragging their feet here? They're just, they're just dragging their feet to play the fewest games possible so that way the calendar ends up flipping and then that's what's made, making the decisions for them. I think that's what we're seeing. I think owners are saying to themselves, okay, what day do we need to get to to be able to only play 80 games? Yeah. And if we can get there while still negotiating, we'll just make the We know what the agreement's going to look like. So we just need to get there before we make any sort of real agreement. I think that's what's happening right now. Yeah, you're selling me on it. You're, you're you're winning me over now. I mean, uh, what you're saying optimism, makes a lot of sense. Optimism, baby. Yeah. Optimism is abound here in the Rips and BK show. <laughs> it's, it's so you're saying there's a chance. Um, no, I think that I think that we get to the let's just call it the 80 game window, like you said, 75 to 85, split the difference somewhere in there. Who cares, right? I think we get to that area. I think that the players will get their full prorated salary i do think that the owners will ask of the upper tier players to defer it over the next couple years and i think the players will accept that i think the one thing that i'm hoping doesn't happen i don't think it will but the one thing that i would fear is you get to this time next week right and that's around when people seem to be suggesting that we need to have an agreement at this time next week there needs to be something in place that is okay fourth of july you're going to start playing and we move forward I hope we don't get there and owners still haven't come to an agreement and then they're like, yes, screw it, 50 games. That's what you get. Because from what I'm reading, and this comes from ESPN, players don't seem thrilled about that idea. And I think that's going to be a really bad look for the players. This quote comes from ESPN, Jamie. Players might simply feel the risk isn't worth the smaller reward of a shorter season and not just because of COVID-19. At 25% of their full salary for 25% of the full-length season, risking an arm injury that could linger into future seasons becomes a risky gamble. And what if a player hits just 180 in 40 to 50 games? Cold stretches like that happen all the time, even to very good players. What does his contract via arbitration or free agency look like in 2021 as a result? End quote. I get the fear. But if you're a player and this is what's offered and this is the only thing that's on the table, I think you have to agree to it. Eventually, you just got to play a season. And I know 50 games sucks. I know that's not what any of us have wanted. That's not what we're looking for. And I hope that I believe that they're still going to be able to come to an 82, 80-ish game season. Mm -hmm. But if this is what's out there, this is what's the only thing that's on the table. You know what 50 is better than? Zero. (laughs) 50 is a hell of a lot better than zero. You know what 25% is better than? Zero. 
I get what the players are saying, though. I get that because everything is performance-based, right? And so let's say you're a pitcher. Let's say, let's use Jack Flaherty, mm-hmm. okay? Now, we all know he's going to come out and absolutely mutilate good. Major League Baseball. But what if he doesn't come out with his best stuff? What if he gets rocked around for his, I don't even know what you'd have. At 50 games, how many starts would he get, roughly? Like nine. Nine, okay? <laughs> let's yeah. say he goes like, Two and seven, and his ERA is just—he just—he's off, right? There's no runway for him after that. So now, I believe he's in a contract year after that with arbitration. Yeah, rates. He's got arbitration coming. Okay, up. so now, now what? So just using that one example, and I know he's special, and I know the Cardinals would be smart enough to evaluate. But I'm just using that as an example for our listeners to kind of get an idea where I'm headed here. There is personal performance at risk. For some of these guys and some of them who are not making big money, some of them aren't Jack Flaherty that are looking to, you know, back up the Brinks truck in the next couple of years. Some of them are league minimum guys. And if they only get 50 games and they're sort of lukewarm, then they might be out of the league. They might be starring in the KBO next year. You know what I'm saying? We might be watching. Never know. Pretty good league. The Dinos are on fire. I hear what you're saying. It's incredible that you know that. I hear what you're saying. I understand where you're coming from. I would also just eventually you got to play. Like these these are athletes, right? You know this, Jamie. When when you're a hockey player, you play hockey. That's what you do for a living. If you're a baseball player, you play baseball. This is what you do. And if you lose a year on your career, you're losing a significant portion of this. Most of these players are in the league for five six years at a mm-hmm. time, and then you're out. Get your money while you can. It's not a hundred percent. I know that. And that's going to suck if that's the case. But if you can get 25% and then get 100% of whatever that is next year, that's better than zero. It is. And I hate saying that. It sounds really crass. But eventually, you're going to have to be able to play these games. All right. We got a couple of great texts here on our uh, 65780 text line. We've got 314. Hey, guys. How about Jack Flaherty not making any money this shortened season, but he gets service time for this year, even if he doesn't play? Why should he play? The text like, okay, you got me. It probably is in Jack Flaherty's best interest to skip it, then go right to arbitration rights. I get that. Once again, though, I was just using him as an example, but you got me. That is something that could happen, too. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if Jack Flaherty, I, he's too competitive. I don't think he's going to be the dude that does this, but there will probably be some players, whether it's 50, 80, 100, games, however many games they play, that opt out and decide this is not worth it for me. And that's fine. If you're one of those players, do what you got to do, right? Especially if you're somebody got a comorbidity and you decide this is not worth it for me mm-hmm. to play because of the risk of the health situation. I get it. I don't I don't fault you for that. I would also say the majority of them are very likely going to play. They're going to sign up for it and they're going to say to themselves this is worth it to me because $250,000 is better than $0,000. <laughs> yes, and I think is. eventually we're going to get to that place. Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford was on the fast lane yesterday, and he said something that perked my ears up about whether or not we're going to see a hockey season resume. We're going to ask him further about that and where his confidence meter is next. Jeremy Rutherford on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Defenseman Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where we are joined by Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. JR, what's going on, man? 
Not too much, guys. How you guys doing? Uh, we're doing all right. So, JR, yesterday you really bummed me out. I got to be yeah, honest way to go, with you. JR. So I was listening to the fast lane, and I, I typically expect JR to put me in a good mood because, you know, he's just a happy-go-lucky guy in general. And he gets on there, and he's talking to the guys, and he's basically saying something to the effect of, hey, you know, uh, this isn't as done of a deal as we all kind of are suggesting that it is. Can you give me a little bit more clarity on what you meant by that? Are, are we going to watch the end of this postseason? Yeah, Rivs, I did the uh, interview, and all of a sudden I get a text uh, when I'm when I'm done from uh, BK, and he says, oh, you're Mr. Negative. You, uh, you're bumming me out here. So I was like, what did I say? What did I say? Uh, no, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of uh, I think there's just some skepticism in terms of what's this going to look like for the players. I think that's what it really boils down to. And so the playoff format, as Braden Chen told you guys, is something that they felt, uh, hey, you know, whatever works best for everybody, let's just go play hockey. But I think now, as you guys have probably been talking about for the past couple of weeks, you get to a point where you're going to get into phase two and potentially phase three, and they're going to have to have some hard negotiations and discussions on what the bubble is going to look like in the pod cities. And all I'm trying to say is that players could say, look, this just isn't worth it. And Jamie knows it. I know it. We've talked to players who just say it, it's not worth it. That's what they're thinking now, and they haven't even gotten to the negotiation. So all that said, all it takes is for the league to come up with a good plan for there to be good dialogue, and if they can reach that point where it makes sense for everybody, they can still play. So I don't want to turn anybody off and, and say that there's not going to be hockey. I just think that when you hear that the playoff format is set in stone and the league says we're coming back, everybody thinks it's automatic. Well, if we don't have the NHL, we're just personally going to blame you, JR, for it, okay? <laughs> yeah, probably, um, right. <laughs> no, but to your point, okay, and I'm going through this um, on the youth sports side with Synergy Hockey. We're trying to put together a plan, uh, a guideline as to what it's going to look like for people to be safe when they get back to the rink. And so for the players in the NHL and in talking to some of those guys, I do know that that's the number one thing right now is they don't necessarily have a blueprint of how this is all going to roll. So I think that once they get that, they'll be probably a little more open to the idea. But until that point, I think the questions will still kind of remain, right, JR? Yeah, yeah. I totally think that it's just the unknown, the fear of the unknown right now. And, Jamie, you know it, how you know these guys are reading the reports and their loved ones are – reading the reports and the conversations are going on at home. Hey, are you really going to be in Vegas for two and a half months? And, you know, wife and kids or girlfriend are going to be back home. And so those are honest conversations that the players are having, but they don't have any of the answers for their families right now. So when you hear a player do an interview or, or tweet something or, you know, Instagram, they're saying, Hey, look, there are still some challenges that we're going to have to get through. And I think, you know, Pierre LeBron's been reporting about this a lot and he's just saying, Hey, everybody, just let's be cautiously uh, optimistic. But again, all it takes is for a good plan to come together, a little progress uh, in, in the world in terms of what's going on with the virus, and then maybe you get a vote that says, uh, let's go play. Uh, again, I think it's just the, the unknown right now. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. JR, is there anything in particular that you think is going to be the most difficult negotiation or the diff most difficult conversation between the players and owners moving forward? Is, is there something that you're thinking of when you say that? Well, you know, we touched on it a little bit, but just to expand here, it's just that, that bubble, what's it going to look like? I mean, are these guys going to uh, Vegas with uh, six different suits, and uh, and are they going to see their families? Are their families going with them? 
you know, there are just so many different scenarios out there in terms of what each family is dealing with. And, and so if you've got a, a family that's expecting a child, is that player going to be able to fly home to St. Louis or, or uh, you know, Minnesota and be there for the delivery and then fly back to, to Vegas? And do they have to sit out for 14 days when they get back to Vegas in the middle of a series? You know, so that's kind of really specific. I understand that, but those are some of the questions that all these guys have. So to me, you know, it's not like baseball. The finances are set. The money is going to be what it is. They're going to split it uh, 50-50. But I think these teams are coming back. They want to know what the parameters are, and then is it going to be worth it, and then vote based on that. JR, to, to flip a little bit here and, and get to the playoff, the format, we talked to Braden Shen yesterday, and he basically just dismissed it going, we don't even care what the format is. You know, uh, he, he had several reasons and certainly uh, confidence in his team and his teammates. But as you look at the playoff format and now knowing that Braden Shen is just like, whatever's in front of us, we'll just deal with it. What do you think the advantages are for the Blues going into this kind of a format as opposed to maybe some of the bubble teams or maybe some of the less established teams? Well, I think, uh, you know, you're going to have to play well in that round robin. The Blues have a good team, but we don't know what any of these teams are going to look like coming out of, you know, three months off. Uh, So whatever they established before is great, but they still got to come back and and show that they can uh, pick right up where they left off. So you have the Blues. They're on top of the Western Conference, second highest point total in the league, and now you're talking about playing uh, Vegas, Colorado, uh, and uh, Dallas in that round robin. So you, you hope that you can get off, uh, you know, playing well and, and you know, and, and secure one of those top seeds and then play. So I think what Braden Chen is doing there, and I listened to the interview, you know, good job by you guys. Uh, Braden Chen said, hey, we don't care. Let, let's just go play. And I think that's what the mentality of the Blues has been under Craig Berube. You know, we can talk about all the many examples. Uh, Jamie, I'll kind of flip this on you and ask you this quick question. If, you know, that tone that a Braden Shen sets with that comment, to me, is a little bit different than what the guys in Tampa Bay are saying, that, hey, it's not fair. And I understand completely why they're saying it's not fair because of the format. But just look at it from what each team is saying. I got to like the team that's going into it with the confidence of saying, hey, let's just go play the game. Yeah, JR, you're 100% right. And this goes back to the culture that Craig Berube and the leadership group have created here. It goes back to hand pass. You know, it it does. Like, you go back and you look at the obstacles the Blues have had, and every single time there's been a problem, it's, yeah, well, we'll deal with that. We're going to be fine. We're a great team. We'll battle through this. And this is, to, to your point, just another example of that where we don't care what the playoff format is. And when we get back to doing business and we're back to being a team, we're going to be just fine. We know what we have in that locker room, and I trust every single guy in here. And you know why? Because my coach tells me that we're going to be good. So it's all about the attitude and obviously their success that they've had while you know creating that culture. Yeah, just to piggyback, I mean, what if Tampa loses their first couple of games and then everybody says, hey, you shouldn't have been worried about you know who you're playing in the format. Just go play the game. So I agree with you there. JR, I did want to ask you one more question. We're talking to Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and the Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford. How about this Vladimir Tarasenko situation? Because he's very likely going to be at 100% by the time that we get back. They're going to have to work him in, though, without him having played any games. And the games that he's going to come back with immediately are meaningful. There's this round robin where it's going to determine what the seeding is for the Blues in the postseason. 
How difficult do you think that's going to be, and what kind of an impact player do you expect Vladimir Tarasenko to be for the Blues? Yeah, I think he's going to be at 120% by the time they finally get going, right? This has been crazy. Who would have ever thought? I mean, to think that we were wondering if he was coming back too soon, and, and now obviously it's in a situation where he's got plenty of time to heal. And, you know, a lot of good reports. I've talked to some people around that uh, situation, and uh, he's in, in real good shape and, and ready to go. Obviously, he needs to get into game shape. The one thing, BK, that we don't hear a lot about, but I do think it's going to be on the table, is uh, a couple exhibition games before they start that round robin that's not certain that's not in stone uh, but there has been some speculation about the teams playing exhibition games before they get that round robin started i think that would be uh, good for everybody because you're right i mean a tarasenko or whomever uh getting into a game action a meaningful game against uh, the vegas golden knights in game one that, that would certainly be tough so i hope they get a chance to get the right guy in He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work. Theathletic.com is where you find it. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, you're the best man. We appreciate it. You didn't bum me out too much today. I felt like you smoothed <laughs> things over a little bit. All right. Thanks, boys. You're the best man. That's JR joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the cup every Thursday and Friday night right here on 101 ESPN. You will hear a replay of two classic games from the Blues 2019 historic run to the cup. You'll relive each game with added insight and behind-the-scenes commentary from Chris Kerber, Joey Vitale, and Alex Ferrario. This Thursday night, you've got Blues versus Bruins, Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final, and on Friday, it is the finale of the series. Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the Cup, finishes up with Blues versus Bruins, Stanley Cup Game number 7 this Friday night. Pre-game starts at 6, play-by-play at 7. Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the Cup, is brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Get your questions in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Questions and answers is next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK. K podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you want to get involved in questions and answers. I've got one for you to get things started today, Jamie. All right, hit me. So I saw this. This comes from 1057 The Fan out in Baltimore. Jason Lockenfora is hosting a show up there, and he asked a question. Jason Lockenfora is a soap guy, bar soap guy in the shower. The other host of the station uses body wash. What do you use? I got to be honest, I've never been more surprised by a result of a poll than I was with this. 42% of people still use bars of soap, apparently. Oh, yeah. Are you a bar soap guy? Uh, listen, man, after all the traveling and stuff I've done in my lifetime between hotels and rinks and practice rinks and workout areas, I'm a whatever's there guy. You know? Fair, but in general, are you like if you if you had your druthers, you had you you druthers. What, I don't know what you're talking about. The over under on a person that says the word druthers. I don't know. You're not <laughs> old enough for that one. Older if, than ribs. If if you, you had your pick of the litter, let's go that cliche yeah. instead. What would you choose at home? If I'm at home and I'm in the shower, I like a good bar of soap. I do. Really? Yeah, I like. It. I feel do you like use like a washcloth, or do you just no, go no, bar we get right soap after. to the we body? Get, put the soap in the hands. We lather it up and kind of go and go and go. And you are a man. <laughs> I like. <laughs> like who the hell lathers up with a bar of soap? I like still? just an old fashioned bar of soap. See, I get used me to use nice one. and clean. Reach under the plumbing. <laughs> 
clean it all up. Do you, you know? Do you burn the bar of soap afterwards then? Because I hope nobody else is using that. No, no, yeah. My wife doesn't appreciate it sometimes uh, when she looks at it in the, and I've, um, oh, yeah. I don't know, cleaned yeah. out underneath. Yeah. And you Six. can tell. 65780 is their comfort service text line from the 314. BK, they call that 42%. The real men among us. <laughs> hey, listen, we've already established I'm not in that category, so I'm not surprised that I'm in the other category. I'm just surprised that it's 42%. I don't know. I mean, is something to be said for just a simple bar of soap. Now, I'm not against, like, body wash. I'm not against it at I all. I go body wash with a loofah. I was going to oh say, my God, I, oh, no. yeah. Come on. You, but, but, hey, did I just submit something that's like in case? a loofah? BK, Ribs and Mike Ryder just both tilted their head the I same know. direction. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm a loofah guy too. That's how you Is get it clean, before, man. After you do your facial. After. Uh, after, yeah. Oh Always God. do the facial before the shower. That's how this what? works. Wait, uh, now hold on. Because now the text line's blowing up. And I'm on BK's side here. How is using a loofah not a man? Because they usually come in f- female colors. That's, well, that's not true. I have a dark blue one at home. Yeah, I've got a white one. Thank you very much. Out pink, though. I don't know. It would usually would end up pink afterwards. I don't know. But I I just, I don't know. I look at it, and the loofah, I don't know. I'm just, maybe I'm just <laughs> old right. school. Texas, 65780, explain to me. Is a loofah unacceptable yeah. for a man? Explain to me I why. I it is. I was unaware of this. I'd, first of all, I didn't know there were rules to the way that I was supposed to shower. <laughs> well, you gave me a crooked eyeball. I use a bar of soap. No, no, but I knew that you people... break out body wash and a loofah, and I'm not allowed to tilt my head? <laughs> so he said, do you use a rubber ducky as well? Only one of those ones that shows you if the water's hot or not. Only on a bath. Do you guys still do baths? I'm not a bath guy. You're not a tubby guy. Oh come on! Look, that was unnecessary. That was unnecessary. I appreciate it. Be careful. Go get your tubby. Look, all it takes is realizing that you're just sitting in your filth to not take a bath anymore. So apparently, you're supposed to take a shower after your bath. The bath is supposed to soothe you. The shower is supposed to clean you. Yeah, I would agree. Is my understanding. Yeah, because you're basically laying in dirt water. Yeah. So just lay in the shower. It's the same thing. Well, you could, except you know. It's not the same. I had no idea that a loofah was unacceptable. No idea. No, we got a text there saying I use both. First pass with body washing, loofah. Second pass with Irish Spring Bar, bar soap. Oh, yeah. It's a real clean listener right there. So thank you, 618. They use a loofah. From the 304. BK, what color is your shower cap? It's yellow. Um, (laughs) The bar of soap, every time that I use it, the Irish Spring one, it makes me feel like there's a film on me after I'm done with it. That's my biggest issue with it. Like, I got no issue with somebody using a bar of soap you ever start to sing in the shower because you have Irish Spring? You know that old <laughs> commercial they had? Irish Spring! And I'm like, yeah, I do that stuff. I, don't I know do why. that for the Old you, Spice. You sing not, because not really you're Irish using Spring. a bar of soap? Yeah, well, that's the ad they used to have. That guy was, like, taking a shower in the woods, like, with the waterfall, and he had <laughs> Irish Spring! Great question follow-up. Uh, do you wash your feet, or do you moonwalk in the suds? Oh, wash my feet. I have a loofah. That's what the loofah yeah, that's is the loofah. Okay, so hang on. Now I have a real issue. Now you're loofahing your feet and then your body? Think about what you're doing. You're basically taking your dirty feet and rubbing it all over your body. Now, so the thing about the loofah is you've got to consistently replace oh, yeah, the loofah. Yeah. What? Every, what, t- two, three loofahs a shower? Well, you got to have a rhythm, <laughs> <No>. Riff. <laughs> you, you go from top to bottom, yeah. right? You don't you, start, you start with your feet. You top and you finish with you your feet. you loofah your face? No. No. I use a. I, I use don't a, think you're being honest. A, no, I'm being. I, I'm actually being honest here. I use a uh, a face wash. For I'm my a face. 32 man, and I do a loofah and body wash. Thank you, from the 314. Uh, but clarifying, Old Spice. That's just an extra little. 
I use dumb for men. There. It's for men. What? Okay, I don't, I don't use know that, that I qualify, but it is for men. They just took the whoa wow. part of that bottle off. What? What? So here, Sid, 314, <laughs> Irish Spring commercial, used to, the guy used to cut the bar in half with his pocket knife, yeah, and then use it. That's manly stuff. This may surprise you guys. I don't own a pocket knife. I don't have much of a use <laughs> for a pocket knife. I know that, that comes as a massive surprise to a lot of people. By the way, I did the most manly thing I've done in a long time on Friday night. Don't tell me it was loofah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't qualify Go that. Go ahead. I was in charge of the fire. We oh, did a bonfire right. on Friday night at the at the Kylie household, otherwise known as my girlfriend's parents' household. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was in I was the man in charge of the fire all night. Now I had questions about that, okay? Yep. Because we had some discussions last week to where you were like, e, you know, like my father-in-law, future father-in-law, my girlfriend's dad, mm -hmm. however you want to word it, right? You're like, he mans the grill. He's the guy. He's the, doing the plumbing. He Absolutely. does this. And then smoked I, up some brisket this weekend. But as well. I feel like I feel like maybe he was listening, right? Because we know he listens, and he's probably like, you know what? I need to throw BK a bone here and see if he can handle making this fire. And I did. You did. I, did. I know. I I'm used. So proud of you. I used newspaper and twigs, and you better believe that bad boy was going for four hours that night. I was in charge so all night long. Two sticks together. Didn't do that. Oh, no. you didn't. Oh, okay. We, we want matches. Oh, matches. Okay. I, uh, nobody actually does the two stick thing, right? Unless you're like out in the wild. And let's be honest, if I'm out in the wild, I, I'm SOL. Like that ain't going to go well for me. I'm, I'm going to end up dead. <laughs> like naked and afraid, I'm just going to be naked and, and not living anymore. The two sticks thing doesn't happen anymore. That doesn't happen anymore. Now, have I? did I do it like as a kid for fun? And just, yeah, you can get that done. But ever since like you could have a lighter or a match, like there's no point. Yeah. Okay. I, I appreciate you I'm backing you me up one. on this one, Jamie. At I'm least there's one thing you can get my back on. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 314. Hey, guys, did you see? the report about the Tiger King. It looks like based on this report that we were we got a text about, Carol Baskin has been put in charge now. She has been transferred the old zoo property oh that boy. was Joe Exotics. Oh, that'll make Joe happy. Oh boy. Now also to um, add on to that piggyback they got another, um, what's it, Discovery ID, that Mystery Channel Identification ID channel. I don't ID know television, yeah. Yeah, okay. They've got a thing coming out. The producer, you know, the old guy yeah. who's like smoking cigarettes and sound like he was dying as he was on camera. They're doing another, like an add-on to what he saw every day. He's like, it's his tell-all about Joe Exotic. he was the one that had all the footage that was burnt it up was in the shed, right? A hundred percent. And I like this open part of it. It's like, oh, this is the last time I'm going to talk about that. Okay, until you run out of money yeah, this, this time and then you need more. If I was these guys, I'd be squeezing that sponge Hell until there yes. was nothing left. But don't me. act like it's an inconvenience for you to talk about it again. I think you kind of have to, right? It's the perception yeah, that people want to know you. that you... I think you got to. And then the next week you do another one. Right. And you say the same no, thing. No, I'm not talking about <laughs> it again. I'm done. Hey, we got a text here um, from the 217 uh, about our, our soap discussion. And I won't go back to it, but I want to clarify something. 217, bar soap is awful and dries your skin. River skin is probably drying and peeling off by the second. I can confirm. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I can wait, confirm wait, wait. too. This isn't skin. This is leather. Okay? <laughs> this is leather. You could beat this leather with a bar of soap all day long. It's not going in. 
anywhere. Sure. He's built up some calluses because he's a real man. Hey, hey, and that's what men there. do. 65780 from the 314. A little fire pit is not the same thing as a bonfire, BK. You were in charge of a fire pit in the s'mores, not a bonfire. Okay. Yeah, oh. but okay, but you didn't have the area for a bonfire. Listen. If you could get a little fire pit started, I think you could get the bonfire going. Listen, I, I will take my small victories when I can get them. Yeah. I don't have many, so I will take them when I can get them. Son, and I'm proud of I- you, okay? <laughs> I'd hug you, but I'm not allowed. That's all he wanted to hear. Well, it's here going down the right side of my eye. (laughs) With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, I want to talk about Patrick Mahomes. Oh, my gosh. Mahomes and Lamar Jackson have changed our expectations for young quarterbacks in the NFL. Is it a good or a bad thing? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So the MVP odds are out for the NFL's 2020 season. And, Jamie, there was something that immediately stuck out to me that was a reminder of how much our expectations for young quarterbacks has shifted. So this comes from Pro Football Focus. According to them, Josh Allen and Kyler Murray are currently the most popular bets for MVP this season. Now, that makes a lot of sense when you look at what's happened over the last couple of years. You've had, (laughs) as Donnie Fandango walks by, talking because we were talking about Josh Allen for the Bills MVP this year. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go Bills. (laughs) I think they're going to win the AFC East. I've got a bet on that, so I hope that ends up being the case that being said if you look at only the last two years it makes a lot of sense Patrick Mahomes second year breakout wins MVP Lamar Jackson second year breakout wins MVP but then you look at the 60 years prior from 1957 to 2017 there was a total of one second or third year quarterback to win the MVP it was Dan Marino So it's happened in each of the last two seasons, so it shifts our expectations for these young quarterbacks, but it had happened once in the previous 60 years. And so my question to you, Jamie, is have we shifted our expectations too much? Are we now expecting too much from these young quarterbacks too quickly that they're not going to be able to live up to these expectations, even if they do have objectively good seasons? Yeah, I think the thing to remember here is that Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson both went to reasonably good teams, okay? They didn't start off like like Joe Burrow. His plate is full <laughs> in Cincinnati. Let's be honest, right? It's a so lot there, yeah. The expectation of, let's say, oh, in his second year quarterback, Joe Burrow's going to be the MVP of the NFL. I'm not so sure of that, right? So I think that we have to remember that, that Mahomes and Lamar Jackson had some pieces in play. They had good coaching. They, like, the, the pieces were there to be successful, and they're phenomenal athletes as well as quarterbacks, certainly. But, yeah, I mean, look at it. The, the NFL has turned into a pass-first league now. I mean, you get the odd team that runs the ball a bunch, and they're considered to be old school or won't catch up to the times. And and so now the quarterback position is extremely valuable. And you look at these quarterbacks. They can run. They can pass. They can get out of the pocket. They can scramble. To me, that's the recipe for success right now. 
I think it's a bit of a catch-22. Um, in some ways, I think it's easier than it's ever been to play quarterback in the NFL. The schemes are better. The coaching is better. The wow. playmakers. BK just said it's easy to play quarterback in that's, the NFL. That's not what you I did. said. That's what, I, that's what you said. It's easier than it ever has been. It is still one of the most difficult positions in sports <laughs> to play. That's why it's so difficult to find a good one. That being said, though, it's still unbelievably difficult to play the position as well as Patrick Mahomes did two years ago or as Lamar Jackson did last year. They won the the MVP because these guys are so overwhelmingly great and they were put in incredible situations. Mm-hmm. You have a Lamar Jackson who goes to the perfect situation in Baltimore. They've got one of the best defensive infrastructures in all of football for 20 years now. They have a great head coach in John Harbaugh who's willing to build around what is a really unique player, right? Lamar Jackson could have gone to any of 20 other teams and I'm not sure what he would have been. He would have, I think, I think he still would have been good. I don't know that he ever could have been this in those other 20 situations because John Harbaugh is willing to go for it on fourth down. He's willing to say, you know what? Screw it. We're not going to play the same style that other teams are playing. We're going to build around the fact that we've got a running quarterback who's really good at throwing as a secondary option. So they've done that. They've built around that. Same thing for Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. They threw as many weapons around him as they possibly could. They've got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Not enough. We're going to go get Sammy Watkins. Yeah. We've got those three. Not enough. We're going to go draft McCole Hardman. We've got a running game that the running back probably could have been the MVP of the Super Bowl. Not enough. We're going to draft Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round of the NFL draft this year. They have continually thrown all of that in there. And by the way, they have Andy Reid as their head coach, who might be the best offensive innovator of the last quarter century. And so this is how you get what we we've seen from those two players i don't know that that situation is out there for another player i like josh allen a little bit i love his coaching staff is his supporting cast good enough is his offensive coordinator good enough to get that out of him i think the answer is no so i think it's easier to play the position i don't think it's as easy as we are now leading it to to be believed to play it as well as mahomes and lamar jackson did the last two years kyler murray to me is interesting because to me he checks all those boxes you know, he checks the the same boxes as Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. And he's a young quarterback that, you know, they're putting him in a pretty good position. They're trying to put some things around him. He had a surprisingly good season last year. Yep. So, to me, he's the next up-and-comer. And quite honestly, he puts himself right in that discussion. If he has a good year and continues to develop and comes out slinging it like he was last year, and they've given him a couple more options out there, this could be... Yeah, exactly. This could be the guy now that we're talking about next year going, okay, it's been three years in a row now. And my point is, the blueprint of that style of quarterback is really what the NFL is going to. Yep. And I do think, and, and and I think Joe Burrow fits into that as well, um, I, but I think his situation in, in Cincinnati is way more difficult than the other guys we've talked I'm about. I'm just going to be really interested to see how those expectations play into what we think of these quarterbacks because let's look at Carson Wentz, for instance. Carson Wentz was on track to potentially win MVP the year that he got hurt. He got hurt against the Rams. He ends up being out, and the Eagles go on to win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles, right? But that year, he was on track to do so. But since then, there's been questions of how good is Carson Wentz? How how good really is he? We've seen this with Baker Mayfield. He's really good his first year, struggles his second Mm -hmm. year. It's really hard to continue that linear growth as a quarterback. You can be really good for a season. 
Defenses get a little bit of film on you. They change the way that they're playing you, and then suddenly it gets a lot harder the second year. So I'll be interested to see what Lamar looks like this year. I'm going to be really interested to see what Kyler looks like because he is a fascinating player. I like Great him. situation, really good receiver out there. I, I think he's he's probably the guy, but I would I, I would not bet on him because I don't think this is replicable. 65780 is the air comfort and service Text line, uh, you're going to like this one. Okay. 314. He won't win MVP, but Drew Locke is set up to thrive in Denver. He Go is. Tigers. <laughs> I think that's the wrong Tigers. Is, I'm pretty sure that's Dallas. You Tigers. Well, I- I, yes, but I still think you cheer "Go Tigers" at a Mizzou game. You don't I think go, it's more of an M I Z Z O U chant. But it, you don't think anybody's screaming "Go Tigers"? Yeah, some, some. Come yeah. on, let's get it started. Let's change it though. Let's try. Let's change it. So the, the school that's been playing football for a hundred years, yeah. we're just going to say, you know what? Screw it. Change it. It's I no want to change M I Z. Instead of being "Go Tigers," be like "Go Tigers." <laughs> there is a little bit of that. See, that's that part like of the Tony fight the Tiger song. from Frosty. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Drew Locke set up to thrive in Denver. Drew Locke, by the way, if you're looking at the odds right now, seventy to one to win MVPs. MVP. Is he really seventy to one? If we want to throw a little coin down on that. I don't think he's got any chance of winning MVP, though. I don't have any coin, so. Well, we're <laughs> double screwed. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 12-11. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Would a 50-game MLB season be enough to qualify as legitimate? Could we actually have awards from that? Would players be able to get their, their in-season bonuses from that? Would we even consider it enough to have a real playoff? We'll discuss that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The league doesn't want to do 6,214 games. It's talking even fewer than that. And the big question at this point is going to be whether the players are willing to do something that short. Because remember, if you're playing 50 games instead of the 82 that was proposed initially, if you're playing 50 out of 160, you're looking at all, you know, less than a third of their salary there. Is that something that the players are going to be willing to do? That was Jeff Passan yesterday on ESPN talking about Major League Baseball owners' proposal of 50 games, a season that would start in July and would pay players their full prorated salaries, but for just 50 games. This is seen as a last resort, but it seems pretty significant to me as a hint as to what we're heading towards. The question that I would have is kind of what Jeff Passan just said. Would this be legitimate? Would you view a 50-game season as a legitimate Major League Baseball season? I want to hear from our text line, 65780. And if you, if you, if you want to hit us up on the mic drop feature on the uh, 101 ESPN app, the Rhino Shield mic drop is the place to do that as well. I want to yeah, hear from you guys. Yeah, we haven't used the mic drop too often. We right? need to get back to that. We need it's, to get back to the Rhino Shield mic drop. Hit us up. We want to hear your voices. It's on me. I apologize for that. But we absolutely want to hear you. from you. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> would a 50-game season be enough to qualify as legitimate jamie what's your thoughts on this because it is it's a third of what a regular season should be and so i'm a little bit conflicted on this yeah okay so i think you have to classify every uh, scenario as yes it qualifies the nhl had a couple of seasons where it was half a season this that the other we've talked about some of the stanley cup champions from those shortened seasons this is unique obviously what the last pandemic was over 100 years ago um I, i think that no matter what you get for a season, whether it's 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 games, whatever they decide at, which we think that'll be somewhere around the 80-game mark, 
It's a legit season. 50 games, that's a short season. There's no doubt about it. And I, I think that some people will definitely frown upon it and call it just a, a 50-game tournament rather than a full season. But I think the way you got to look at it is, yes, it's a legitimate season because every single player, every single team had to deal with the exact same problem or the exact same amount of games. From the 636, I'd rather use a loofah for the rest of the year than have a 50-game season. That comes from the 636. I I agree. My, my preference is obviously not to have a 50-game season, and obviously I agree that I would rather use a loofah. COVID changes everything, though. COVID is, is it makes all of this different than what you would typically expect. And so is it going to be different? Would I, would I normally view this as a legitimate season? Of course not. Of course not. But this is a situation where a pandemic has thrown everything to the wayside. There are millions of people that are unemployed right now because of the situation that we're dealing with. There are millions of people that weren't allowed to go to work for months and some still aren't allowed to go into work in the offices because of all of this and so when i look at it through that lens yes i would view 50 games as a legitimate season it would be different we would always remember this as the coronavirus shortened season right just as you oh, would God. view another season for the rest of eternity this is the covid season there's like for basketball the 2011 2012 season was the lockout year they played 66 games instead basketball of basketball had a lockout they did indeed yes huh. Um, instead of playing Must their full season. And so you, you view that a little bit differently. But nobody looks at that Miami Heat team and says that they weren't legitimate champions. Uh, I think what's going to happen... Now I know why you talked about it. That's right. I think what's going to happen is we're going to view this season as legitimate if one of the best teams wins the World Series. If it is a surprise that wins the World Series and you look back on it as like a one-off then we're going to view it as not legitimate because then it will be viewed as, oh, that was that was gimmicky. That didn't really count. But it does count. It does count. If you're, if you're a team that is able to go through this and you know up front what the season's going to look like and you prepare for it, you plan for it, and you play accordingly, I do think this should be viewed as a legitimate season to me. Yeah, look, I, here's where I am on it is that it could even be harder for teams to win it in this format because you're going to have to have unique strategies your managers are going to have to use their players maybe in different ways you're going to have to have more of a team effort at times i i think that overall it could be harder and i just got a a text from one of my friends a good buddy of mine lloyd nay and uh lloyd says hey look you know what i'd 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 prefer a 50 game season makes a regular season more of a race for the playoff seating winning the tournament is what matters you gotta play your best players i'll tell you that much if if dylan carlson is one of the cardinals best outfielders and you're playing a 50 game sprint to the finish he needs to be out there for most of them if you're going to this type of a schedule the cardinals have a really big advantage with their pitching staff because they are so deep and they have developed such an incredible farm system that now for the cardinals they've got 15 20 arms that can legitimately contribute right now Early on, you're not going to see Jack Flaherty going seven innings. And so if you piggyback Jack Flaherty with KK Kim, that's a much better situation than most of these teams are going to be under. So the teams that are deep, that have developed those young players that have the solid 30 to 40 man roster as opposed to just a really top end heavy roster. I think those are going to be the ones that are actually benefiting from the what the shortened season looks like as well. Yeah, I listen, I agree 100 percent. And I still think that. Because everybody is in this situation, because teams are going to have to use players, maybe even in different ways than they anticipated going into this, um, and then it is a sprint. It's not a marathon. It's a unique situation that for some teams, uh, it may not be good for them. And, and some of the favorite teams 
going into this season, yeah, you know what? They may not end up in a great spot. If you've got a bullpen that is shoddy to begin with and you're going into this season where you're not going to be able to throw your starters as many innings as we probably had hoped that the Cardinals would be able to throw a guy like Jack Flaherty, for instance, mm-hmm. that's going to be a massive problem. Like the Cubs. The Cubs might have a real problem this year with the way that they're they're – team is built their roster is constructed over 162 you could probably get by by just throwing enough guys out there and eventually seeing what sticks over 50 games if you've got an issue it's going to be exposed and it's going to be exposed quickly right off the bat now a question i had for you earlier in one of the breaks the very top of the show was i wonder what happens to guys bonuses in a 50 game season like i know that there's certain bonuses that uh, they have like a era right if you finish a season with a three era or better you get x amount of dollars if you finish the season with like batting 300 or over x amount of dollars but i wonder how that's going to be worked and you brought up a great point too he said well, what if you're a 30 home run bonus yeah. guy well, there's probably not much of a chance you're getting 30 dingers in 50 games. So how are they going to regulate that? Because I haven't heard any talk about that. It's been about the salaries and, you know, d- deferring money and taking a pay cut. But nobody's talked about the bonuses, which we know can be significant. So here's one for for example for you. This is Matt Carpenter. This is in 2022, so it wouldn't apply to him this year. But there are players that have something like this for this year. I just don't have them top of mind. Matt Carpenter in 2022, if he gets to 350 plate appearances that year, he earns $500,000. If he gets to 400 plate appearances that year, he gets another million dollars. If he gets to 450, it's another million, and it continues after okay, so that. How so many it's basically pl- a playing time incentive. How many games would that take? So it's typically about three to four per game, maybe five, depending on how, how many times you bat around, that a typical player will end up with. And so if he's playing the majority of the playing time, he's going to get you a 500-ish at bats. Okay. So if you're looking at this for, for Matt Carpenter, if it was a shortened season of 50 games, there's no way he could reach no any chance. of these. My question would be then, and I think this is what they would do, do you just make it a percentage of whatever it would have been over 162? So 50 is whatever, 30, 28% of the full season, right? I'm not going to do that math on air right now, but 25 to 30% of whatever the full season is, and then you would just make it proportional for whatever those bonuses are. So if you had 50 home runs is what your typical escalator would be, your bonus would be for, over this season, is it now 15 to 20 home runs that you have to get to to be able to reach that threshold? I think think that works for, like, solid numbers like basic things like that but i think it would get hairy when you get to eras and you get to you just got to eat it if you're a team for that i know but do you think right now the owners don't want to <laughs> eat anything do you think That's they're going to be point. like oh, you know what yeah we'll give it we'll give you a percentage of your home run bonus and oh yeah well the era works in your favor or your batting average ha heck we just add it onto the bill you know? i wonder if these incentives become the holdup that nobody's thinking about in the negotiations i hope like, not god we can't get there like, right? not to be mr negative here because i know you just yeah welcome to the show alex and just come in and swinging with yeah, negativity just poured optimism all over the place but think about it like the only things these guys are talking about right now are the important things to try and get a conversation flowing this hasn't even come to the table yet because they're not worried about it but let's say you get to a deal like all right yeah we can figure this out with 82 games and eating this prorated salaries oh but wait we forgot about the incentives back to the negotiating table i agree with that and that's where i think it could become a bit of a roadblock yeah. is because right now they're thinking big picture players are thinking 100 games owners are thinking 50 games so until they get that actual number figured out 
then what we're talking about isn't relevant, right? Because you, you can't base right. a percentage off of a number that you don't know. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. So then you get to the finish line on what the number of games will be plus the playoff f- uh, format, whatever. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, well, guess what? I have five or six different performance bonuses. How are we going to handle this? Right. And you could literally fall right back off the cliff after that because the owners would be like, we have already given enough. It pisses somebody off because, like, are you kidding me? And now we're talking about this? Fans it's will be pissed again with that. It can't happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We've it's, said it can't happen for a lot of things. These guys so far. are immature. It'll happen. If you're doing the full prorated salary for their actual salaries, just prorate the bonuses. If, if you play, let's say they fit, play 50% of the How season. How do you right? prorate an ERA bonus then? You give them 50% of whatever that bonus was supposed to be if they hit the ERA. Wow. It, it, I think there would be some pushback there. I don't, I don't I Maybe you defer it as well. Maybe uh, you that's say your new favorite word, eh? Defer. I wonder defer. if you wash. I'm going to com- defer this to tomorrow. I wonder if you wash it completely. That's how I feel about this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to dis- defer my opportunity to speak till tomorrow. That's how I feel about this year? You're washing again. You know, soap or loofah? Uh, loofah. Come okay. on. We've already discussed this. Yes. No, but I wonder if they just say negate it completely because let's say you hit that ERA milestone that you were talking about. It was 82 games. Does that really I don't count? Think on the gate. I think players are going to be counting on that, and they're mm-hmm. going to be looking at that. You know who's counting on it? The players' agents. They're going to be looking at going, okay, I get a percentage of every dollar my Enter client Scott makes. Boris. Enter Scott Boris, and he's going to be, hmm, you know what? You got your ERA bonus. That's worth $250,000. That's worth I don't know, ten grand for me, Scott Boris. Like, just keep yeah. cha-ching, cha-ching. So I think that it's going to be very relevant and and definitely something that so listen, the players are going to be looking at. Um, I don't know what show you guys are doing, but I'm doing one that's optimistic, hey. that believes baseball is coming back. Yesterday was a good day. We are getting closer and closer to an agreement between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. So you can talk all you want about how these players aren't going to agree to something. I'm here to tell you that it's going to happen. This is a positive show today, Jamie Rivers. I'm, I'm being not letting positive. you bring me down into that muck. I'm not bringing you down. Technically, I did that one. With former <laughs> yeah, Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. This next guy is going to bring us right back up. Craig Edwards is a baseball writer for Fangraphs, and he wrote about what exactly is going on between baseball players and the owners and whether or not he thinks we're going to have a season this year. We'll ask all of that of Craig Edwards next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crippen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Craig Edwards. He's a baseball writer for Fangraphs.com. He's on Twitter at Craig J. Edwards. Craig, how's it going, man? I'm doing pretty well. The weather's nice. That's what I like to hear, man. Doing well on this end as well. So let's talk about baseball. Um, yesterday, we got the report from Jeff Passan and Carl Ravitch of ESPN that the owners are now looking at a potential as a backup plan, I suppose, of a 50-game season that would pay the players their full prorated salary. What was your reaction whenever you saw this news? Uh, when I first saw the news, I thought uh, it, it seemed like a very good step towards uh, something happening between the, the players and the, and the owners. Uh, and I was a little disappointed to read later that the proposal hasn't actually been made. 
but uh, the players are off- offering 114 at prorated salaries, and the owners countering with 50 at prorated salaries. Uh, it seems like there's some room for negotiation. Uh, they're you know pretty far apart, but uh, it seems like there's there's a deal to be made there somewhere. All right, so I'm looking through the Twitter account here, and I see that you ran a poll uh, as to the optimism from fans as to whether it be baseball or not. Obviously, in the last 24 hours, there has been some dialogue and maybe some change in thought. This poll that I'm looking at currently shows 66.23% that there will be Major League Baseball played in 2020. Do you think that would change at all today based on the information we've had in the last 24 hours? Well, you know, I do these polls every couple of weeks, and uh, I'm going to start another one tomorrow, and I'll I'll, fi- I'll find out. <laughs> but I I think that that 66 percent is is about right in in terms of optimism on the season. I think that you know people it's 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 not all in, but it, it's guarded. Uh, that that the they will be able to work something out. It seems like a lot of the hurdles, especially on the safety front, uh, and you know the the states and the governors and all that have have been mostly cleared. So I, I think that they're pretty close, and it seems like the players want to play. And you know, I hope that the owners want to, want to have a, a baseball season. It seems like uh, many do, and uh, you know, I think that that optimism uh, it, it's it's based in some reality. Craig, you've done a lot of research into the revenues that these teams are putting out there, and the the, the claims that the owners are making that they will lose money by even playing any of these games. The more games they play, the more money that they ultimately lose. Are, are you buying that argument from the owners? Do you believe them when they say that they're going to lose money by playing these games? Uh, I, I don't. I, I think that uh, the, that if if they're losing money by by playing the games, uh, you know, then then they're maybe uh, not being completely clear about uh, where their TV revenue is coming from, and and they they say that you know in half a season of games they'll get half the TV revenue, and you know if if they're actually getting more than that, then then I could see how they could argue that playing more games doesn't net them a whole lot more money, but that means also that they're getting a whole lot more money than they're claiming they're getting. So I think that, you know, when, when I ran the numbers based on MLB's own figures, I, I came out to uh, them generating, you know, about $200,000 for every single game that, that they that they staged uh, above and beyond what they were paying the players. And, and those were those were MLB's own numbers. Okay, so this is the next question, I guess. And and based on the information you just gave us, this is a huge trust problem between these two entities. And I just don't know how they solve that. And also, the question I want to ask you is, how much of the future CBA is actually interfering right now with these current negotiations? You know, I I think that, you know, there's... a battle that's going to be brewing for in another 18 months over over the future uh, of the sport financially and, and i think that's definitely in the background but i think this last cba is having more of, more of an effect on the negotiations now because you know the the last three years before this one mlb was was doing fantastically and they were they were getting you know the billions and billions in, in revenue and making tons of profit and the, the players sort of saw that and uh they, they realized that hey maybe we didn't make the best deal last time and, and next next time we're going to do something a little bit more fair and uh, they thought they had a deal in March 
the players did, and and the owners are trying to to re- renegotiate that deal. And the players knew when they signed the deal back in back in starting in 2017 that they weren't going to be able to, to to have a new deal until 2022. So it's a bit of salt in the wound for them to know that they have to wait five years to renegotiate a deal that they didn't like, while the owners are trying to renegotiate a deal after five weeks. We're talking with Craig Edwards. He's a baseball writer for Fangraphs. You can follow him on Twitter at Craig J. Edwards. Craig, you write for Fangraphs, but you follow the Cardinals very closely. I'm curious, how do you feel like the Cardinals are set up for a shortened season, whether it ends up being 50 or 80 games? How do you feel like this team is actually constructed for what a shortened season would be? You know, some of that depends on how the season looks. The Cardinals are, are a team that, uh, you know, the, the last few years they've been strong on uh, depth and not as much star power. And I think that in a shortened season where you're doing a lot of double headers and you're, de- you know, digging a little deeper in, into your, your starting pool, both uh, on the field and in the, the rotation of the bullpen, that the Cardinals would be very well equipped to, to handle that type of season. Uh, if it's 50 games with a ton of rest, like normal um you know maybe that's your opportunity to to ride guys like like jack flaherty and you know the the fact is that the cardinals were were going to be a contender this season whether it was 50 or 162 games but a 50 game season adds a lot of randomness to that it adds a lot of variability um you know if you look at any two-month stretch last season and that's what we're talking about with with 50 games you know a lot of different teams performed uh with with with, uh considerably different records and so you know you're gonna you're gonna have you know that that fight to the finish except it's going to start on on day one and you know i think that the cardinals could be could be well equipped for that but at the same time uh with the the, the variability is is going to to throw things for for a wrench, and you know one big injury could could make a big difference. So we're talking about players' salaries and the owners' revenues and the number of games and all that. What what I glossed over is the fact that there's still you know a health issue out there, and I know that there's a lot of players that have voiced their opinion on not feeling completely comfortable about returning, and especially since baseball right now has their, their, their mindset on everybody playing in their own cities. We've heard a couple of guys come out and say, I don't know if I'm feeling all that warm and fuzzy to fly into Chicago, to fly into New York. How much of an obstacle will this present as we get to the finish line on this deal? You know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be the last thing that, that holds up. You know, I think that if the players ultimately don't feel comfortable, uh, they'll be able to make the decision um, to, to, to not play. And, and I think that that's good for both for both the players and the owners so that you don't end up in a situation where you're trying to force someone to play who doesn't feel comfortable, you know, health-wise and safety-wise. And, you know, it's it's a good reminder that the only reason that – you know, everyone is having all of these, you know, renegotiations over over the money is because it's not as safe as as everyone hoped it would be back in March. And uh, if it, if if it was, then then none of this would be a problem right now. But uh, I think that the concerns are real, and I think that the, the players and the owners uh, will do their best to to recognize them and, and make sure that that people feel comfortable with with what they're doing, but before they start the season. Final question for you, Craig. If I asked you to go into your crystal ball and you decide right now what you're projecting for what the season will look like, how many games and when we start seeing baseball, what do you think that looks like? 
Yeah, I think we're, we still end up with somewhere between, you know, 70 and 85 games, and uh, we end up with with a fairly normal season. Um, I'm, I'm guessing we start in the first week of July, and, uh, you know, maybe an extra round of playoffs I think would be would be exciting and good for the game. But um, I'm optimistic that, that, that a deal gets done. He's Craig Edwards. You can find his work. Fangrass.com is where you can read it, and on Twitter, at Craig J. Edwards. Craig, we always appreciate the time. Hi, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. That's Craig Edwards joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Did you hear that last statement right there, Jamie? Did you hear that? Optimism, baby. That's what I like to hear right here on a Tuesday morning. I don't know why I'm barking. Maybe I have to go to the bathroom. Let me outside. (laughs) The junk drawer is next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK. Time to open up the junk drawer. Jamie, I'll let you get started today. What we got, man? Okay, so there's been a lot of talk about different guys getting involved with, like, pro wrestling. You know, we got Gronk that gets involved in the pro wrestling. And then MMA, we saw big Shaquille O'Neal on his, uh, his reality show getting into the MMA. What do you think a guy like J.J. Watt would look like in the octagon? Oh, Okay, now hear me out. John Jones, who's 32, who's the light heavyweight champ right mm-hmm. now. He's 6'4", 205. It's a big guy. It's a scary dude. J.J. Watt, 31, 6'5", 289. It's now, massive. obviously, he's a bigger guy. And you think that, okay, J.J. Watt's a pretty tough dude, right? He says no go on getting in the cage. Yeah, I think sometimes we we mistake big and menacing with good fighter. A hundred percent. I understand, Jamie. You probably look at me every day and you're like, man, that dude is big and menacing and could probably fight. Intimidating is the first word that comes to mind for sure. I'm here to tell you it's not an accurate assessment of who I am as a person. But goes back to my argument before of challenging Shaq. I'm not afraid because you're big. I don't care. You don't scare me. That's actually, that's a good point there. Shaq's a little different, though. I don't know. There comes a certain point where when you when you get above seven foot and 300 pounds, <laughs> I, I think that's the point at which being big doesn't matter. Ah, suddenly. Ribs, it's like a rhino sitting on your chest. All he has to do is sit on you and then you haven't had that in. happen before. Never mind. You're not living. Anyways, J.J. Watt, a reason he doesn't want to do it. He hates the shin kicks. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's, yeah. He's like, get me. Oh God, he's no. like uh, okay, so picture a Razor scooter, and when it comes around and smashes you in the in the, in the shins, how much that just sucks oh, or skateboard or whatever, right? You bang your shin. And he's like, yeah, no, thank you. John Jones kicking me in the shins, and I'm blocking his kick. Forget about it. Have you seen, other than the shin kicks, when they stomp on their bare toes? I like that move. The like, hot foot. I, I, that would piss me off so much. I'd be it done. It's a hot foot. That's what it's called. Is that yeah, what it's called, really? The guy automatically pulls his feet. It's like he's burning his foot, so they Literally, call it the hot foot. Just keeps stomping on his bare foot. I, I'd quit I'm out. after that. I'm out, yeah. man. I, I, I can't do the shin kick. I mean, I can't do any of it, but this, the stuff that sounds, <laughs> that sounds the worst to me the shin is the kick shin kicks. And the thigh kicks to where they, like, they leave the fight, and there's a bruise from knee to hip bone. And you know, like, that's that's immediate. Yeah. The next day, you can't walk. And the punch to the gut. 
Oh, yeah. That like, kind of sucks. It all kind of sucks, I guess. Yeah, huh? I mean, not, uh, being punched in the face doesn't sound great <laughs> Actually, either. Actually, being punched in the face sometimes feels better than being punched in the like in the yeah. ribs or in the gut. That's what I'm saying. That sounds miserable. You know what a punch in the gut is for a guy in Colorado is getting caught making your healthy meth. Yes, oh, wow. I said that There's correct. a healthy version now? There is indeed. Wow. So Craig Williams Rogers, what a great name. 49 years old. He was arrested on suspicion of controlled substance possession out in Colorado the other day. Um, but he says it, it's not fair because he was making a healthy version of meth. He put acai berries inside of the meth oh. to make sure that it is healthy Is that how you pronounce that, by the way? I've heard acai and acai. I took I've a real big acai. leap of faith. I've heard Akai and Asai. I haven't heard the Asai. That's like a whole new spin on Six, it. 65780. How do you say well, that, How are you going to tell us? Akai. Well, you can, you mic can drop. pronounce it. Give us a mic drop. Rhino Shield mic drop. Oh, How geez. do you pronounce Akai, Asai, Asai? It, the, the, oh, word, the word that is spelled. I got to find this word. A C A I, isn't it? A C A I. Yeah. A C A I berries. How do you how do you pronounce that word? Yep. I need help with it. Is it acai? acai? How do you get acai? acai? Where's the E? Honestly, I just heard it said that way. Okay, yeah, all right. That's all right. I'm okay with that because that was accurate. Listen, I don't know either. I always called it acai or acai. Somebody says it's acai we. Okay. Where's no. the we coming from? Yeah, see, there. that's probably your relative. Yeah, I was going to say, someone's trying to get you there, PK. <laughs> so anyways, this guy has been arrested. He was released Wednesday on a $15,000 bond. I, If you're going to make meth, this is probably the way to do it. Now, kids, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do this in general. It's Meth is a very bad drug that you should not be involved with. But, um, <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> just a disclaimer there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the healthy version would be the, the kind that I would probably prefer. Like, let's just isolate that for a second, okay? We're talking about meth, which is one of the worst things you could ever do in your life, and it's ruining people's lives and killing people. But we're, we're discussing a healthy version of it. Is there such a thing? What do they call that when it's, uh, was it oxymoron? Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. When you're talking about something. Double negative, basically. Yeah, basically like, yeah. how do you, there's no such thing as healthy <laughs> meth. We, we've seen a lot of great things in this world. It wouldn't surprise me that we could find healthy meth, but let's be honest here. You guys aren't surprised that guy with the three first names is coming up away with making healthy meth? I thought it was not like a mean crack hitter, but like a, you know, like a nice one. Just kind of friendly like, hey, what's up guys? You want some crack? <laughs> in this case, of course, meth. Okay, we have some text line coming in here about our uh, question about the berries. I'm getting a lot of the same ones that are agreeing with you, BK. Right here. That's what I'm talking about. Three, 314 says, my moments. acai berries. I was in Brazil for the World Cup in 2014, and that's how the locals pronounced it. What mean, who, how, how do you know they're right? I like the one that said, <laughs> I saw we. I saw we. Eh, I so, don't think that's right. They said that it was a typo. Yeah. So speaking of Brazil and things like that, this has nothing to do with it, by the way. It was a horrible transition. But... <laughs> We talked about J.J. Watt earlier going uh -huh. into the octagon. We're going to transition right into this Triple somehow. H from WWE was interviewed the other day, and he was asked a, uh, an interesting question. He was asked about Rob Gronkowski and his 24-7 belt. So this, to me, is going to be interesting how this plays out because his answer, and I'm paraphrasing it all, but he basically said, the belt is called 24-7. That's, that's the rules. 
So, yes, you could end up with Rob Gronkowski running an out pattern, catching it in the end zone, spiking the ball, and somebody rolls him for the 24-7 belt right there in the end zone. He just lost it last night. Did he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he lost it. Okay, so update, breaking news. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to take your junk drawer, but... No, that's all right. Breaking he news. Lost it. Um, if Rob Gronkowski still had the belt. Uh, yeah. Okay, so moving along. Thanks a lot. That no, just, it's true junk. You just peed all over my story. I saw that's pee. Okay. R-Truth is, is your new 24-7 belt holder. Yeah. R-Truth, Ron <sighs> Killing. I'm done. I quit. Sorry, buddy. Last thing to throw into the junk drawer. Who the hell watches wrestling? If you want to punch BK, I, I understand. Well, that's nothing new. <laughs> Frankly. I don't want to punch. I never want to punch BK. I don't. Do you believe that, BK? No, no. Not, not even for a second. Why would I want to punch you? I mean, it's kind of your your thing, right? No, I don't punch people. I might choke you out for a little while, but I'm not going to punch you. I feel like you made a living doing uh, yeah, this Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't choke anybody out on the ice risk. No, but I did see a guy almost do that one time. True story. <laughs> True story. We got time for this, he okay? Got so happy. Jamie's eyes lit this. up in a way that I haven't seen in the entire <laughs> time that we've done a show together. He thought about somebody choking another man out, and he was like, oh, this so is what happy. I live for. Okay, so this is a true story, and it happened in the minors. I was playing in San Antonio, and we I had a teammate. His, his name was Rocky Thompson, and you'll remember this guy. This guy was, I mean, just a psycho. That was Case Thompson's dad, wasn't it? Uh, no, that's Brent Thompson. Brent Thompson. I thought his nickname was. Okay. No, so anyway, so Rocky Thompson has been a tough guy for years and years and years. He had some, some off-ice problems a little bit, got himself back on track, and was living a healthy lifestyle, a very religious guy at this time, and but still had the switch right and we're playing a game at the end of the game we end up in like a five-on-five brawl and rocky thompson like basically ko's this guy and he gets stuck on the back of the net rocky thompson takes this guy's jersey and puts it right across his throat like a choke like a like hoist gracie would have done like with somebody's judo gi he's got it cranked and the guy can't get up he's pinned on the back of the net so i'm sitting there and i'm fighting with this guy called garnet exelby and we stop and we're watching this happen because this guy's face is like turning red in the middle of this thing so we skate over and you know kind of break them up or whatever we get in there mix it up the best part about this whole story is that that it was an afternoon game and Rocky Thompson had put together a church day. So his church came to the game to watch and then following the game they had a conference room and they were going to do um, you know a, 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 some prayer and things like that, some talk about faith and Rocky Thompson's got some dude pinned against the back of the net choking him out right in front of the church section. So yeah, that brought up a, uh, that brought up a, a memory. A different kind of hockey. That was a different time. A different, a different era, different, if you will. Yeah, night and day, but still uh, funny to have uh, seen that. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We'll get to Are We Sure coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, how much does Vladimir Tarasenko's return change things for the Blues? We'll talk about that on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. high-end goal scorer and a one-shot guy. He's not a volume shooter. He doesn't need you know, eight to ten looks and eight to ten shots to be able to score. He can beat you with one shot. He's got a very unique release point. It's tough for opposing goalies to pick up, so that goal-scoring abilities is helpful because, you know, you need 
somebody that can break a game open from time to time. So that'll be huge. That was Kevin Weeks back when the show was Stalter and Rivers. It is now B- Rivs and BK. Trying to get that BK and Rivs. We'll get Keep there trying. eventually. On 101 ESPN, he's former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. So ESPN asked the question of their NHL analyst what the biggest question is for each and every playoff team. We now know there's going to be 24 of them. And so for the Blues, the question that they asked was whether or not the Blues are now a, quote, refueled bulldozer again after they're getting back the entire roster healthy because they've had so much time off. And, of course, the real headliner there is Vladimir Tarasenko. Tarasenko, and we talked about this earlier today with Jeremy Rutherford, is likely to be back at 100% of his full capability whenever this season resumes. And so, Rivs, I wanted to ask you as a former player, how difficult do you think it's going to be to incorporate a guy like that who is not an insignificant part of the the game plan whenever he's on the ice in such a short amount of time to be able to really get him back up into speed and to shift around your lines around a player like that? How difficult do you expect that that to be for the Blues? Okay, so... Under regular circumstances, like when Vladdy was scheduled to come back right before the pause, I asked that question of a lot of people. How do you think he's going to work him in? Because they're already in a rhythm. They had guys that were clicking. They had a power play that was doing pretty well, in fact, doing very well. And you're like, where, who do you disrupt? Who do you move? All these questions. Pause. The whole NHL. Now you're coming back. There is no chemistry right now. You're starting from scratch. So now, as far as I'm concerned, my opinion, I think it's easier now to transition him in the line because you don't have lines that have been playing well together. You don't have chemistry between two guys. Yes, I know O'Reilly and Perron will always have chemistry, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like, So now Tarasenko comes back, and you start fresh. And you have you know 100% Vladimir Tarasenko, and now Craig Berube and his staff are building you know, schemes, systems, power play looks out there, face-off plays designed around the fact that you're going to have Vladdy back in the lineup. So to me, as awful as this coronavirus has been and the disruption that it's made to, to all of our lives, when it comes to reinserting Vladdy Tarasenko back into the lineup, I believe it's actually going to make it easier for St. Louis Blues. I agree. And the thing that people need to remember, there's no animosity. Of, but it's not, it's not like his team hates Vladdy Tarasenko. No. They want him back on the ice. But here's the, here's the point, and I was thinking about this too. This benefits the Blues that he's coming back after a pandemic rather than coming back in the middle of the season because everybody's on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Now, Vladdy hasn't played, obviously, since October where these guys have played, but nobody's on the same page. Everybody's three months off. So Tarasenko comes back and he implements that chemistry the same amount of time that Nate McKinnon has to implement his chemistry with a Gabriel Landeskog and Amiko Rantanen. So I think this is beneficial for the Blues. And, and what it does is when you put him back, you get that same level, but it also puts you back into the position where you can compete with those top teams because you have your number one scorer back. I'm going to be really interested to see how they incorporate him right away. Like, what? what is the line that he ends up going on? Oh, I think he ends up back with Shannon Schwartz. Yeah, Shannon Schwartz, for sure. You I think they he, just go straight back to that? Vladdy Tarasenko, he needs two workhorses out there. The guys that are going to chase down pucks and get him uh, pucks in the offensive zone, retrieve rebounds, do all the dirty work. Braden Shen's a pit bull. Yeah. Jaden Schwartz is just a buzzsaw out there. And those guys complement Vladdy so well. And they make up for some of the deficiencies on the defensive side of the puck. I love Vladdy, but he's never going to win sure. Defensive Player of the Year, whereas 
guys, Shanner and Schwartzy, you know, they're very dedicated to a 200-foot game. So, to me, he slots right back Because every, everything else falls back into place, too. You get your O'Reilly, Sanford, and Perron. I mean, it's basically your lines from the Stanley Cup last year. Yeah, he'll try that out, yeah. and, and we'll go from there. The number one thing for me that it creates, guys, is that important depth. Yeah. And right now, with the way this is formatted and the way they're coming off of basically from nothing to everything with a quick training camp into the playoffs – Depth is going to be essential for guys who maybe aren't playing well. You need to flip the switch and put somebody else in that role. Or guys that tweak a groin, a hip flexor, a knee, whatever. You need to have that depth. Well, let's think about the conversation that we were having right before the deadline, right? Whenever we were going into that, a lot of the question was, and Jamie, you played the other side, and you ended up being 100% correct about it. You said this team needs a, this team needs a defenseman. They need to be able to replace what they're losing here with J-Bo going out. And they did exactly that. They need to double down on their defensemen, and they found the perfect fit with Scandella. A lot of the discussion, though, at that time was centered around they need a top six forward because there were questions as to whether or not Vladdy was ultimately going to be able to return. Well, if they get Vladdy back, and we all expect at this point that he's going to be 100%, Mm -hmm. they're not just getting a guy. They're getting a guy who last year in the Stanley Cup playoffs had 11 goals for them. The only player on the team that had more was Jaden Schwartz with his 12 over the course of the postseason run. Ryan O'Reilly was third with eight. Mm-hmm. And that's not to take anything away from what O'Reilly did for them in the postseason last year, but it's just to show you what kind of a contributor against the best teams in the biggest moments. Vlad Tarasenko was one of their best players, and that's the guy that they're getting back at this significant moment. Yeah, they're getting back one of the most dynamic players in the NHL, a guy that Every time he has the puck on his stick can change the game. And that is going going to be a huge part of the Blues trying to defend the Cup this year. And, you know, it's strange how things work out. I do feel that the Blues were targeting at the deadline a top six forward, obviously with the J-Bo um, incident going down, and then they had to acquire Marco Scandella. And now the way things work out, and, and again, understand what I'm saying. And none of this coronavirus pause has been positive. None of it has been positive. But from strictly hockey standpoint for the St. Louis Blues, it has worked out for them to the point till they get Vladdy back. They've got Scandella on the back end and they're deep up front and they're getting a guy who just can filthy flat out score. The the depth part is the part that gets me that you mentioned, Rivs. Think about who's going to be on your bench when you start the playoffs. A Jordan Cairo who was playing well before the pandemic hit. Uh, you could argue, you know, a Sammy Blair, Mackenzie McEachern, and then you're going to have like a guy like Clem Costin sitting up there. You have more depth than most teams do in terms of NHL available players to play on any line. Oh yeah, and you got to look at Sammy Blair and Mackenzie McEachern. Those guys are, you know, to me they're they're Craig Berube players and they're difference makers. Sammy Blair was one of the oh, biggest yeah. difference makers last year in the playoffs. Never mind the score sheet. He had a couple of big goals. How many guys did he put through the boards? How many guys? How many San Jose Sharks players yeah. can't stand Sammy Blay anymore? He right? stayed in the series against the Boston Bruins. They never took him out. Never took him out, and they they shouldn't have, right? No. So those two guys are going to be essential moving into this kind of a format in, in the playoffs for the Blues. And yeah, Clem Costin is going to be interesting. Yeah. See where these young guys. He's another big body. He's capable of playing that physical game. This will be an audition for a roster spot next season, this playoffs, with some of those younger guys. Yeah, I think so, but I think we got to be careful, too, because it is a short... It's going to be a sprint, right, for this thing, and you got to be careful just putting a young guy, throwing him right into this burning fire of intensity 
when he hasn't been playing either, right. right? So I think the practice time and the video room and all that stuff, that will rub off probably just as much on some of these young guys. Agreed. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's one eleven. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up tonight is This Week in Hockey with Kerber, Joey, and Alex. You can hear that right here on 101 ESPN from 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock with more Blues breakdown for you. Coming up next... Are we sure? We'll play a game of Are We Sure next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So we're doing we're doing exercises throughout the breaks. We didn't have the big heads up as no, to when we were coming bad. back. We're pumping up. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm over here doing, like, tricep extensions, and we're on the air. You got a breath a little bit, A little out of breath over here. Wow. So, so, Jamie keeps it, like, 100 degrees in here on some days and, like, 5 degrees on others. There's no in-between. I turn this thing down every day. So say I'm comfortable today. And today it's on the hotter end you know, of things. First of all, you're dressed in a snowsuit, basically. Okay? You do have three layers on. Three BK. layers with jeans, a quarter and a jacket, zip, jeans. He's got like winter boots on oh, and gloves. Like, could me a break. He's got a, he's got a sock hat on too. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? And he's BK? complaining about the heat in here. I don't know. Show up like I did with a t-shirt and shorts. So you guys thought the winter coat was a little too much? I thought it was a little bit overkill. Little, you don't need a parka. A you don't need a parka. Okay. I know you're well. trying to protect that. I'll at least take off the beanie. (laughs) Let's play a game of are we sure? Are we sure that Major League Baseball isn't the sport most likely to both start and finish this year? Are we sure? Um, Let me see this. Am I sure I understand the question? I think no, there's a I'm chance not. Major League Baseball is going to start and finish this season. And the I'm not season? sure that I... I think it's possible that they're the only league that does it. Wow. Wow. So you think NBA, NHL, and NFL are going to start and not finish? Of the three. NFL's finishing. Well, NBA, NBA and NFL's NFL's their own program. I was say. Out of the NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball, I think there's a chance that Major League Baseball is the one that is able to start and finish. NHL, I've got some questions about, man. Over the last 48 hours, I've changed my tune on them. I still think they're going to play, but I, I have more questions than I did 48 hours ago. Yeah, I think you're eating paint chips. I, I don't think this is the only... I don't think MLB is the only one. Did you eat paint chips as you were a kid? Uh, why? Depend on the flavor. Yeah, brush your teeth after. Are there different but, flavors? Yeah, there? I think so. Well, I think so. <laughs> the different colors. I know that. I'm with ribs on this one too. I just. Who do you think is most likely then? I, I, I would. I would say the most likely one is the NHL. For the conversations we've been hearing from them, and for how fluid these conversations have been between Gary Bettman and the NHLPA, and for the setup that they have of of Vegas being a hub city, and then the other hub city, and them decreasing the teams in a matter of 30 days, and Mm -hmm. then letting the families come when you're down to four teams. Other than the testing, which to me is the the biggest holdup right now from what I've heard from players. Yeah, Which they is, are. I, honestly, I think that's super smart. If they're if they're able to do it monetarily, yeah. and that's going to be the big question, it's going to be really expensive to do that. Bettman said like what a couple million dollars. Yeah. I think that they said it's going to. They cost. take cash. Bettman's got it right. Asking for a change. friend. If they're able to do that, I th- I think that's the way to that's go. That's the man. only holdup. And I think when you t- when you talk about NBA, where we haven't even really heard more details about the tournament, stays the day. Yeah. But you see, that's where I go with NBA on this one. And I know I'm the hockey guy, right? And I know you're the hockey guy. And 
I go with NBA. I think their silence has spoke volumes in a positive way to where they're not bickering back and forth. I've heard some dialogue from some of the players uh, talking about how Adam Silver has been fantastic and that he's listening. And, of course, your idea of Disney World. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll take credit for it's that It's one. one location. They have to worry about quarantining one area. And now they've said flat out that they're definitely going to probably discard the regular season. Yeah. They're going to go to the NHL model of play-ins and your top seeds. They're looking at almost the same concept. If that's the case, they're in the same boat as the NHL to where they're going to get rid of teams fast. Mm-hmm. And they're all isolated they in one area. Less, less people that are per team. Correct. You're not so, bringing 50 people for an NBA team. To me, the NBA... I could see that. I believe that they're going to be the league that finishes it out, gets done, and with success. Yeah. From the 618 65780 Air Comfort Service tax line, I believe that the NHL, MLS, and NBA will finish. Meanwhile, the MLB and NFL will go into the winter when the second wave is highly talked about. Well, MLB is supposed to be done by Thanksgiving, right? That's the plan? Well, that's the other thing. It's like, we just don't know with this. And this is not me questioning any of the science. We just don't know what the future is going to hold for the coronavirus in America. Right. It it could be a second wave or there might not be. Depends who you ask and depends what day it is. Yeah. Unfortunately. We we just don't know. And so, yes, those are some fears. And I understand you have to prepare for the worst at the very very least. But it it might not even be an issue for these teams that they have to deal with. So I I can't really judge my opinion on this based on that. I just think baseball's closer. In the last 24 hours, my my opinion on baseball and hockey has shifted immensely. Oh, there he goes. Negative again. Remember he said. I was the one that was called negative. I'm being positive on baseball. No, you weren't. You just said it shifted. In a positive direction in baseball. Yeah, you're, you're playing the shell game. You're shifting the shells it's been, around. It's been the inverse. Yeah, yeah. He's got negative, and that's why we've yeah. talked more about, about baseball today. You need to take your meds. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing Are We Sure here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. I'm probably going to have to explain this one for you as well, Ribs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are we guy. sure that a shortened season will not result in big questions for pitchers' innings limits in 2021? So, I understand this one. All right. I don't. Yesterday, Scott guy. Boris said something that I really actually hadn't considered yet. He said, what do pitchers do next year when they go from 80 or so innings this year to their typical 162-game season? Are we going to see more injuries not only this year, but next? That might be a consideration that I hadn't really thought about. No, I don't think so at all. I think they'll roll into the offseason and they'll go through their offseason training program just the way they do. They'll have a pause before the next season starts. And for that reason, then they'll get to have a regular kind of style training camp and work their way in. I don't think it'll promote more injuries just because they've had this kind of wacky season. I think that because there'll be an offseason, it will give them a chance to recalibrate the way they should. I think they'll have a normal off season if they're able yeah. to play till th- I mean you're extending it like what three weeks four weeks if you're going to play till the end of October a lot of those guys are going to have a normal off season because if they don't make the playoffs you're not going to be playing and they won't have had the stress on their arm yeah. from a 162 game season they'll have less stress so it'll be less recovery that they'll have to do in the off season I wouldn't underestimate this oh um, well, here we go <laughs> I know every time we see a young pitcher come into Major League Baseball, we hear about the innings limits. Yeah. And we hear, hey, we don't want them to go from 120 to 200 innings. We heard this a lot early on with Alex Reyes. Now, yeah, but it, this, again, it depends who you ask, right? Like the old school pitching coaches are like, blah, whatever. But I, I, I care about the Cardinals, and the Cardinals right. do believe Fair in enough. this, right? Fair so enough. if if the Cardinals are the believers in this, that, and, and I don't know if it'll be firm or anything, but it'll probably be more of a feel thing, and different guys will have different limits. But coming 
coming off of a season when, let's say it ends up being 80 games, right? And that's half of what your regular season would typically look like. If you're a team that only plays the 80 games and fingers crossed the Cardinals play more than that with the postseason and your starting pitchers get 11, 12 starts, let's say, 13 starts maybe, it's half of what they would typically yeah. get. Yep. And you're looking at a guy like Jack Flaherty and let's say he ends up getting... 100 innings this year it's half of what he's normally looking at do you go from 100 to 200 next year and ramp it all the way up from zero to 100 like that i i don't know i think <sighs> i think it is something that they're going to be uh, taking under consideration it's tough to do with with a normal off season though also because they're going to go into their same program and then it's basically you're starting them from scratch and you're going to make them throw more in this season yeah i still think it'll benefit the pitchers personally i think it will they'll get you know, not as much damage done to their arm in this season. They'll go through a recovery time that's for normal amount of time, and they'll go into the next season. I don't think it'll have that big of an effect. That's just my opinion. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Are we sure that the XFL won't be back in St. Louis in 2021? I read this story yesterday, Jamie. I'm starting to get optimistic about this, too. <laughs> XFL founder Vince McMahon said 20 potential buyers have discussed potentially buying the XFL and bringing back the XFL as soon as 2021. And now there's a new report from Sports Business Journal that there's an auction scheduled potentially for August 3rd. You can buy the XFL? We could buy the XFL. <laughs> or you might have to ask for a raise, though. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sure John Kioski will help us out. I mean, 101, we could all get in together, pool our Ryder, money. Ryder got a promotion station, recently. Right? I mean, Mike Ryder's, yeah, I mean, he's farting hundreds now, so. I mean, he, Are you, he, buddy? He, he could help us buy the XFL. <laughs> hey, right? I'm going to bid. I'm going to bid. He's a you former baseball player. You're a former hockey yeah, player. I wasn't really a hockey player. I was more of a fan. Speaking of which, can you go into my, uh, <laughs> Alex, can you go into my folder for today, my audio folder? We've got a mic drop in there that was played on the fast oh, lane I yesterday. Already know that. Oh, Hold dang on. it. And I want to get Jamie's reaction to this because yesterday on the fast lane, they were asking people for some optimism. And then they asked later <laughs> people to talk about careers that they think they should get a do over for. And yep. I, I heard this, and I was like, "Man, that is a that is a shot fired right across the bow." Let's hear. This. I think we could all agree Jamie Rivers needs a do-over. That career, not so good. And throw BT in there as well. Are you kidding me, Rivers? <laughs> what is this trash? Listen, he's not wrong. All right, I should have. I probably should have had a better career. Now, however. I'm proud of my career because I lasted a long time when some guys are in and out. Two, three years and they're gone. I stuck around for a long time. 11-year NHL veteran. If they would have put you as a forward, we probably wouldn't be talking about this right now. You were a goal scorer in juniors. You set records. Yeah. Setting records right now. Do you know which year you had the most goals, Jamie? No. Do you know what your career high was? No. Hold on. I might be able to guess this. In in the NHL? Yeah. In the NHL, you had one season where you had uh, a very clear winner of uh, goals yeah most goals scored in a single season by jamie rivers i want to say it was six and i want to say it was with an eastern conference team so i'm going to say i'm going to say ottawa so i think it, i had the most goals with boston when i was playing in boston is it yeah and i think it, i think it might have been five or six it, it was, was six. four. Oh, oh yes yeah. look at ribs oh one oh two early season trade from ottawa to boston yeah 
finishes the year with four goals, two assists, a, a healthy six points on the year, and 49 penalty that minutes. That was soul patch Jamie Rivers, too. Okay, but now you know the funny thing about that four goals is... A great shot percentage, 7.8% shot, shot percentage. Guy. I don't waste my shots, right? <laughs> or I don't get a lot, that's for sure. Now, <laughs> what's funny about that season, and to your point, uh, Alex... Is I scored two goals in one game. Did you? I did. Oh yeah. And, and it's funny because Robbie Fatorik was the head coach, and he came in in his Boston accent. He's like, hey, "I think I'm gonna play you at Santa today." You know? <laughs> I'm like, "Center?" He's like, "Yeah. You know, you had some good points in junior. I think you'd be a good Santa man." And I'm like, "Okay, fine." So I went out. First or second shift of the game as a center, I'm saying. boom, back of the net. I score, and I come back, and Robbie is, like, laughing. The first NHL coach made the poor decision of turning you into a defenseman. Yeah, and that they tried it. to put me in a defensive defenseman. That wasn't happened. But then <laughs> second goal in that game, which was funny, was I was playing the power play on defense. And I got a one-timer from the point and put it top Look shelf. At this guy. Where they keep the peanut butter. And, uh, yeah, so I had two goals in one game, which 50% of my output was in one game. That's incredible. <laughs> For your career, 17 goals. You had two of them in one game. That's yep. an unbelievable statistic. Well, you know what they say, right? If you scored two goals, like, early in your career, three goals, then they expect four. Yeah. Then they expect five. <laughs> I wanted to make sure the expectations were never set too high. How many high. games were that, BK? Uh, that season? Yeah. Uh, he had 66 games that season. That's a hell of a statistic. Between Ottawa and Boston. Yep. It's like a goal every 10 games. In, yeah. in his career, 450, and finished his career with 17 goals. Darn right. What an offensive juggernaut. I wish, they, I wish they had the shot or the block shots and hits. Cause what was the, going on in your life with the Islanders? Why? 84 penalty minutes? Yeah, I was... Uh, it's a brutal team. It was a brutal time to be a New York Islander. Yeah. You did have 16 assists that year. Yeah. Playmaker. I told you. Offensive 16 guy. assists. Yep. That's a really good year. It's not bad. Now, one goal. We got to get that up. One goal. Yeah, yeah but it was, boost that. it was a game-tying goal. Was it? In Philadelphia, it was a game-tying goal in the third period. We went on to win in overtime by a guy who scored. His name was Marius Cherkowski. They called him the Polish Prince. God, I love how hockey players have that such strong memories. I know. I was just thinking they that, like, remember everything. You could ask me about a show, like I, I mentioned earlier today. One of my um, one of my lasting memories from college will always be the time when I was covering the Mizzou racial protest. Right, like that. I will never forget. It was on my birthday in November. It was November 9th of. 2015. I will never forget that day. I couldn't tell you the minuscule details <laughs> of that day, though. Jamie remembers, like, exactly where the pass went, who it was to, what happened to the next seven sequences. It was a bad goal, too. I came around the boards in the offensive no zone, and I just took a slap shot that didn't even get off the ice. I've, I was just putting it at, and it found its way in. I was like, ah, I'll take it. I've interviewed on that. Puck locks on. I've interviewed a lot of Cardinals pitchers, former Cardinals. They don't remember pitches that they threw thrown to batters. But hockey players will remember an assist on their 15th game in the NHL. It's amazing to Now, me. in all fairness, I didn't have that many points. That's not all that hard to remember. <laughs> we, should, we should make a bit out of this. I, I'm going to ask Jamie yeah. every day for the rest of the week. Explain to me that first goal that you had when you were here in St. Louis. Don't do it now, oh, but we'll do it later this week. I remember week. that one. We'll do that. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, another St. Louis legend, similar to Jamie Rivers himself. Wonders if it's even worth playing a baseball season this year. We'll get to that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
There is no real benefit for owners to play games in empty stadiums. But in order to have what would be considered a season of integrity, you need to play 50 games, 60 games, 70 or 80 games, and then have a postseason. So Major League Baseball has made it very clear. They've been very public. They tell everyone, if the ballparks are empty, we lose money. Uh, they're going to go play 60 games and arguably lose money because there's no concessions, there's no parking, and there's no fans in the building. We need to get to a postseason. That's where they make the money. That was Carl Ravitch yesterday on ESPN talking about Major League Baseball still claiming that it would lose money to play these baseball games. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. So the question now becomes, what exactly is the season going to look like when they do come to an agreement? And I am of the opinion, I've talked about this a lot today, I think we're getting closer. I think yesterday was a significant day. The, ba the Major League Baseball Players Association has suggested 114 games with their full prorated salaries. Yesterday, baseball told you, if worse comes to worse, we will unilaterally decide 50 games, full prorated salaries. That's where we're at right now is the, the bottom end. That's the bottom bar of where we're going to go. Well, 32 games more than 50 is 82. 32 games less than what the Players Association <laughs> suggestion. You're proud That's of 82. this. Huh? You're proud of this. Well, let's meet in the middle, That's right? Okay. I think there's a way to get there to the middle. But then I was reading the St. Louis Post-Dispatch yesterday, and Ozzie Smith had some interesting comments to Rick Hummel of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He said, quote, it's just too chaotic. As much as I'd like to go to the ballpark and enjoy it, it's just a bad time. Whether you play baseball safely is the question that remains to be seen. These are the things that they're wrangling with. How do we do it and do it effectively where we don't put anybody's life in jeopardy? It's a real chance you're taking with all of it. Before, it was just the coronavirus. This other stuff has just compounded it. I'm sitting back and watching this and thinking, this just might be a year to regroup and get some things figured out. It's ugly out there. I would go the other side of things, and this is, I, I know it's risky to disagree with the legend himself, Ozzie Smith, but I would say right now there's never been a time that we need sports more than the current situation. We need a little bit of a distraction. Yeah. We need something to be able to bring us together and it, it's been a minute since baseball has been that that thing for all of us. America's pastime has been that thing for all of us to really be able to bring us all together. But I think it could have that effect this summer. I think if you're able to get these games going by the 4th of July, that first week in July, it has the ability to bring us together in a way that the sport used to. And so I, I would actually disagree with Ozzy here. I, I do think it could there could be something good that comes out of us watching baseball again. Yeah, full disclaimer, I love you, Ozzy. You'll always be the wizard to me. However, I don't agree with... Um, I don't agree 100% with what he's saying. I get what he's saying. I totally understand why he's talking like this because... Yeah, you know, it is it is concerning to have something like the coronavirus out there and then everything else that is just the temperature rising in the United States right now with a bunch of issues. But to your point, BK, 100%, we need a distraction, man. Like, when we had Tiger King as, like, <laughs> the number one topic at the, you know, at the water cooler or whatever on the phone with your buddies or in here... Like, we need a distraction, man. And th so sports, to me, is that distraction. I think that the quicker that these athletes, all of them, not just baseball players, all the athletes can get back to some kind of training that we can actually, like, see it. Like, I, I know myself, I'm dying to just watch even somebody practice at this point. Like, this is going to be fun. I want to see how they look coming out of the, the, this pause or the break or whatever you want to call it. 
So, yeah, I think the world right now, especially with the quarantining and especially with all of the other components right now in the world, we need something to bring us together and make us happy. I was thinking about this the other day. It's finally hit me how much I miss baseball. Because for me, and it, I think it's because of the weather, the weather changing and it getting warm again and it being pool season and mm-hmm. barbecuing and grilling and all this stuff, baseball is the soundtrack to my summer. Like baseball That's what is, Stalter said, too, a long time ago. Did he? Yeah, before you came back from Kansas City, because we were having the debate, not argument, debate, a healthy conversation about how I thought the baseball games go too long, the pitchers take too long, the guys step out of the box and they bang on their cleats and fix their gloves. And Stalter said to me, he goes, well, how often do you really just sit there for the whole game? He goes, it's just the background soundtrack. Yep. of it. So he said the same thing. It, it is. It's this For me, it's on in the background. Like while I'm doing work, preparing for this show, I'm obviously watching the Cardinals. They're on in the background. But I'm not going to sit here and say in game 65 of the regular season when they're up in Cincinnati and Cincinnati's. 25 and 40 and the Cardinals are looking to win their third straight. I'm I'm not paying attention to every single pitch intently. It's on in the background. I've got Danny Mac as the voice of my summer. And while I'm doing a little bit of work or cooking or grilling or whatever, I've got the Cardinals game on in the background or over the weekend on a Saturday afternoon when they're playing a day game and we're out at the pool. I've got the, I've got the cards game on the radio. Like that's, that's, that's true. That's for me. That's what summer is. And so for me, over the last week or two, it's really hit me just how much I miss that. I miss being able to get home in the evenings, start up some dinner and eat dinner while I'm listening to the Cardinals game. And that it hit me about a week ago just how much I miss that and need that back in my life. Yeah, I, look, I agree. And I always think of my father-in-law's house and he'll have us over quite a bit for to grill and have the kids. And he's got a nice pool. He's got a great setup. And in the background, he'll have his little radio, just like all grandpas. And, uh-huh. you know, he got a little radio, and the Cardinals are playing in the background. And, you know, you're not really listening, but you're listening. And then all of a sudden, you'll hear, like, somebody's voice. Like, the volume goes up, and you go, oh, something just happened. But, yeah, so you're right. It does bring me back to the the, the spot of, yeah, it's the soundtrack of the summer. Six. Oh, sorry, I was say, I'll say this, too. After doing pre and post for five years, this was the first year that I was actually going to have the opportunity oh, to go yeah. to a game, watch the game, kind of take it in as a fan, because you, you don't get the chance to do that for so long when you cover a team. I can tell you, the last time I've been to a Blues game as a fan, you look forward to that. So, yeah, that feels like that was just robbed of you from not being able to watch that. 65780 is Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. The longer we go without something, the more we learn how to live without it. I do understand how much it affects you guys and other people with livelihoods that are tied into sports, though. I would go the opposite way for me, and this is not even talking about the professional side of things. The longer I've gone without these things, the more I realize how much I need and miss these things. The first few weeks, I was able to replace it with Tiger King or other shows on Netflix or watching some novel thing or... um, Craft beer? (laughs) Certainly with craft beer. A lot of craft beer. Learning how to change a flat tire? No, 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 no. That didn't happen. I certainly didn't learn how to change my own oil, that none of that was taking place. But there were other things that I was able to replace it with, at least temporarily. Well, those things have all run their course. All done. That well is run dry. Netflix is boring now. There are no more shows that can replace sports for me right now. I can't go out and play wall ball for the 17th consecutive day again. These things that were nice to do temporarily have run their course. I need sports back. A couple of great texts here, too. 
BK, we talk about the soundtrack of the summer, and you have it on the background. 636-BK, you don't grill. That's not true. I do. 636, uh, he's not doing any grilling. His girlfriend's dad is. Good point there. So some listeners are pretty perceptive. That was, that was your girlfriend's dad that sent yeah, that text in. That might have been your girlfriend's dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but I understand what you said. So while your girlfriend's dad's grilling, you got the game on in the back. I still got you, bro. <laughs> That's Jamie Rivers. He's always got my back. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with Anthony Stalter in the fast lane next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Time to cross things over with the fast lane. Anthony Stolter in studio with us. Stolter, what's up, man? Boys, how are we doing? We're doing okay. We're doing okay. We've had a flippy floppy BK today. He's been trying to... No, listen, you've been in smoking mirrors today. He comes out, he's like, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. We're going to have baseball. I figured out this little math problem and we're going to have baseball. But then, in the next breath... I don't think we're going to have hockey. Yeah. I'm like, wait, whoa, what just really? happened? He comes out promoting. He's wearing a T-shirt. says optimistic. Underneath it, pessimistic. Thought we discussed this. It's a, uh, it's a sweater. It's three you, T-shirts, too. He complained about the heat in here today, which you know I keep it cold. Yeah. And I look over, he's like wearing a snowsuit. He's wearing a snowsuit. Look at him. He thinks it's going to snow on the way home today. The winter jacket was probably a little much, but. <sighs> All right, Stoltz, I got a, uh, I guess I, I need a ruling, okay? okay? And I'm going to bring it to both of your guys' attention here. The Rivers House, as we know, can get kind of crazy at times. Yes. Yeah, we've been in quarantine, and the kids really haven't done much. They haven't ventured out, and especially Big Hoss at home. He's kind of kept it real quiet. Now, Big Hoss is not, let's say he's not the most aware guy okay like he'll Takes come down his father, you're saying no no he'll come oh, down and like sick. make food and it's then like leave time. half of it out and go upstairs and like it's, oh. it just doesn't register for him right so so like nobody else is living in the house that's how he kind of it's his operates. world yeah. it is his world and then when you ask him about it like two seconds later what are you talking about I didn't do that. No, wait. It's still sitting there. I started taking, like, CSI pictures of, like, crime scenes yeah. and sending it in the group text going, it, it absolutely is there. These aren't Photoshopped. Oh, I thought I put that away. <laughs> no, you didn't. So, fast forward or rewind to last night. He gets downstairs, starts opening up the sandwich or the bread and whatnot, and my wife loses it. She loses it. I told you guys before, like, this germ thing, this pandemic, like, she's a germaphobe, so this is like her Super Bowl, right? Right. Like, she's always had hand sanitizer. Yeah, like, she is hunkered in. Well, she sees Ashton just roll downstairs into the kitchen, drives his hands into the bread and into the turkey, and but didn't wash his hands. Oh, God. Didn't wash his hands, okay? So first of all, okay, so remember, this is her Super Bowl, right? So now Haas comes down, and then this is the, the text that goes out in the group, the, the Rivers family chat. Ashton, dash, again, you are an a-hole. <laughs> this is your wife? My wife, yes. You are an a-hole. Shame on you for not caring about the rest of us. Eat your own testicle, feces, saliva-infested sandwiches. Me, this I just incredible. prefer mustard. <laughs> wow. This is incredible. You married a gem. Yeah. 
So she's doing it. I read it and I lose it. I'm like, T-shirts are on order. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag I, I prefer, prefer mustard. mustard. That's fantastic. So the ruling over the top by Mrs. Rivers? No, 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 no. the correct amount. God, yes. I'm, I'm always of the mindset of you have to you have to send a message. <laughs> and a lot of times I go I go overboard. Like when you threw your kid's toy car across the I street into yeah. a tree. That was rough. But I did send that message. Now, it didn't mean anything to my two-year-old. There was no idea. <laughs> it meant something to you. Why, I just a psycho. But I, yeah, exactly. You sent the message yeah. to yourself. I sent the message to basically my wife who saw the whole thing, and she thought, this guy's a psychopath. <laughs> can't believe but I married this man. I can, you're, you're thinking to yourself, because I know you. <laughs> You're thinking to yourself, I've never found you more attractive. <laughs> I was like, I've never found you right hotter. Now. Yeah. Kind of hot right now. You feeling tired? What? <laughs> Yawn. That, bread. that was not over the top. Here's the thing that I appreciate that Shannon did. She called him out by name. Yes. I was stunned not, the middle name wasn't you. She was not passive aggressive with that. It's not, hey, listen, guys. We have to keep in mind that you can't put your yeah. hands in the bread. Grouping everyone together. Yeah, and then go to the, <laughs> the lunch meet without there washing no your hands. Here. No, it was no. Ashton. Yeah. And then she flamed him. Yeah. And that because he nailed the dismount. Like, yeah, it, was a, yeah. it was a perfect ten landing. Out, I, ten the, out of ten. The prefer mustard for me is what sold it yeah. for me. Yeah. And the fact, and we've watched them, right? They're teenage boys. They'll be standing there talking to us and literally, like, stick a hand down and, like, adjust their junk and then be like, and, like, what'd you, what'd you do? I didn't just do that. Yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> and so we know full well when they come down and go right into the food, yeah, we're not getting the purest version of your hands right now. Right. So she kind of lost it. I don't blame her. All right. By the way. Phenomenal. It's amazing sometimes. I actually believe your boys when they're when they maybe they do something like that and they don't really recall. So complete side situation here, right? We're in the break room. BT and I were in the break room last week at some point getting water. Okay, so we go down there, we get water, and I'm put. There's three buttons on the on the water machine. Yes, it's confusing. Hot. Yes, it's very. Yes, hot. What's the middle one? The green button. I'm not afraid of the middle whatever one. Whatever that is, and the blue button, which is cold. So you got your hot, your whatever, and your cold, right? So I'm filling up my water, and BT looks at me. He's like, "We're not going for the cold water here." <laughs> <laughs> and I look down. I go, "It is cold water. I'm pushing it, right?" Or, or no, I'm sorry. He he waited until I was done. He goes, "You didn't fill up with the cold water." I'm like, "I did." He's like, no, you didn't. You pushed the green button. And I'm like, I know which button I push. I push it all the time. <laughs> so, did, did, did we ever figure out what the green button is? No, I think it's, it's got to be room temperature. Yeah, yeah, I, think temperature right? yeah, I think it's room, room I hope temperature. I it's not car temperature. Yeah, it's car car temperature. people drink room temperature water? A day. Uh, the oh, next yeah. So I'm like, I am, I am like, listen, I'm defiant about this. I know which button I push. I push it every day to get my water. Mm-mm. So the, the very next day, boom, I'm pushing. I'm I looked down, lo and behold, I was pushing the green button green the entire button. time. I knew green that button. was coming. Green button. Did you apologize? I certainly did. <laughs> I went okay. back in. I go, PTI, I owe you an apology. Yesterday, I, I reamed you out because you, you said, hey, you know, why, why aren't you pushing the, the cold button? Kind of a jerk. Like and that. I'm like, I know which button. No, I was pushing the green button. I the do that. Time. When I go into the kitchen sometimes, I'm like, I, I came up why here for a reason. And you're like, what the hell did I come to the kitchen for? I, I just, well, I'm, I'm a, standing in the kitchen and I'm like looking at the refrigerator yeah. and I'm like, I, I don't even know why I'm here. I specifically right. came here for one thing. One thing. Yeah, what happened? And then suddenly I'm like, 
I'm in outer space. I don't know how I got here. I don't know what I'm looking for or why I'm here, but yeah. I'm here. And you, just, you close the refrigerator and you walk, you walk away. away. Yeah. yeah. Walk away. Take a lap. And then usually for me, I walk back up the stairs or down the stairs, whatever I'm doing. And by the time I get to the furthest point from where I needed to be, I go, ah. That's what I was doing. Now mm-hmm. I got to go back. But yeah. I'm getting my steps in. That's good. I think. And you always kind of play it off. Like, no, I just, I'm, just, I, I'm not feeling that hungry. I'll just close the door and walk away. Do you yeah. guys ever do that in the car where you're, like, driving somewhere and then suddenly you're driving to the wrong place? Like, you're driving to your fr- friend's place or whatever and suddenly you're, like, driving to work. Oh, yeah, I've done that before. So I'm locked in on that. And, I th- and Jamie, you probably experienced this as well because of the kids. Oh, gotcha. God, yeah. Like, I am locked in on that. So if I... Look, I, I I make sure kids are in the car. If I'm going to the daycare, I'm going to the daycare. Going to yeah, but how often has it happened where they start, you know, wrestling around in the back or making noise or crying or this and that, and you're like, be quiet, I'm driving, and then boom, right past the exit. And that, you're like, no, you see what you made me do? That makes me focus more, actually, because I'm like, don't yell at them. Just one day, don't, uh, yeah, don't snap at them. Don't yell at them. I know you want your <laughs> pacifier. <laughs> I'm driving. I can't reach it. It's amazing how many times I talk to my kids like they're adults. It's it's disturbing. Yeah, but you have to. Like they should understand. Yeah, like they should understand yeah. what I'm saying. Otherwise, they it's will, the though. flip side, and you're talking to adults like they're kids. That's, and that's true dangerous. Too. I don't want that. Yeah. I do that with my dog, where I talk to her like she's an adult, and it's like, why don't you understand what I'm telling you? Right. You need to go outside. Because I'm she's, a dog. You. She just comes over and pees on the carpet in front of you. Yeah. Right. She's that. establishing her presence. She yeah. understands, BK. Yeah. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we'll get you to the fast lane. It's next on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.